every time I've ever doubted something, mm -hmm. the investigation of figuring out whether it was a legit doubt or whether mm -hmm. it was just a butterfly jitters doubt that could be slapped away right. was important. Mm -hmm. um, as long as the dismissal of the doubt was not through confirmation bias, mm -hmm. which sometimes I find myself falling victim to. Yeah. Because sure. I don't want to believe something yep. that true or because I have a hunch that I'm right and I'm looking for evidence to support my mm -hmm. uh, my preconception, right? Yeah. Um, so, doubt is important. I don't know if I could... I mean, I'm glad you found something that you truly believe in, but I don't know if there's anything that I truly believe in, to be honest with you. I think mm -hmm. I'm on the other page right. for that. I think I am constantly in a state of, no matter how sure I am of something, mm -hmm. I'm always subject to change mm -hmm. based yeah. on what I hear. That was Josh Vay. I am your host, Michael Dunphy, and this is the Further Liberation Podcast. I have known Josh since high school, but only have gotten to really know him in the past few years through a shared interest in things like music, podcasting, and as it turns out, a shared love for Star Trek. In this chat, we talk about COVID-19, where the world could go because of it, what a truly free world would look like, and we had a lot of good laughs sharing some personal stories. It was great getting to know him a little better through this format. He really is a natural. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and thanks for tuning in to the Further Liberation Podcast. You said you had some things that you wanted to talk about was there anything in particular that you wanted to begin with well i guess one of the things that we should probably just soon have as topical mm. jump in is like yeah what do you think of the arse falling out of the world <laughs> boy like <laughs> like she's gone here lately i don't know what to think about it to be honest with you but i'm really interested to know your thoughts oh hmm. i i can see it for both ways i can see that you know there's a lot of turmoil going on and a lot of stuff can be negative about it but at the same time, ev with every situation in my life, regardless if it's personal or not, I try to see the positive in it. Okay. And I see this as a like an opportunity to make a lot of great changes. <clears throat> okay. So let's just sort of, I guess, best thing to do would be kind of outline where we are today. And, mm. you know, without trying to put too fond of a point on it, I'm talking about, obviously, the coronavirus outbreak, COVID-19. Yeah, exactly. So as of today, and of course, this could be like 10 times worse by next week, or hopefully it'll be rectified within a few weeks, but... Um, as of today, we have four presumptive cases here in the province. Right. We have three of which are in Labrador. Three of which are in Labrador. And from what I hear, of course, because you know, Goose Bay is a small spot. Mm. I hear that most of them are in Goose Bay. Yeah. Hope I'm wrong on that. But, I think you're right. But I think I'm right as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And we have our first presumed case here in the Eastern health region, which, you know, if you even just- I heard that today. Was that only today that come out? Yes. It was like a couple hours ago. And even if you just play the numbers game with that- Odds are, that's St. John's. Yeah, most likely. Eastern Health is everything from Clarenville all the way out. But, I mean, that puts us up to four. And yeah. I think the national average is like 900 now, something like that. Yeah, okay. So, it's it's escalating rapidly. Yeah. And just purely off of the numbers, right? Like, it's not looking good. Mm. It's not looking good. It seems like we're heading for kind of like a precipice. Mm. And I don't know what happens if we kind of fall over that tipping point. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's going to reshape the way that things are. Yeah. I don't know how we recover from something like that. Right. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty. I find myself becoming more and more concerned with it every day. Yeah. Um, kind of exponentially, just like how the virus spreads itself, right? Yeah. <clears throat> because to be perfectly honest, up until really 
I heard about the virus getting into Europe, I was kind of relatively unconcerned. Okay, yeah. Not that I didn't think it was a big deal, just in terms of like thought it was like the same as Zika or something that <clears throat> it's that virus over there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Quite quite frankly. <laughs> it's across the pond. Yeah. What odds, yeah, right? Exactly. So yeah. it's you know, now to find out okay, now it's in Europe. All right, we're moving west. Things mm. are getting closer. Yeah. And then of course it gets in the States, which means it gets up here and before too long, now it's here locally. Yeah. So I find my personal kind of, I hate to use this word, but anxiety over the subject mm. is increasing yeah. daily. Right. And sometimes I feel as though I'm underreacting yeah. and other times I feel as though I'm overreacting, okay, yeah. depending on who I talk to. And somewhere in between the two of those, I guess, is where I, how I actually feel about the topic. But what are your thoughts, Stumpf? Well, like, do you feel like is the anxiety due to like <laughs> the actual virus and the sickness itself? Like, are you worried about getting sick and people you know getting sick, or the effects it's going to have on society and and the, and the economy and everything else? What really worries you the most? Both yeah. to a degree. Yeah. Okay. Both to a degree. Um, I guess what I would have like people getting sick and dying is I mean I've dealt with that before just in terms of like personally in the family, like deaths in the family and stuff. Mm -hmm. I know what death looks like. It's not pretty, but it is a natural part of life. Of course, yeah. What I guess I find more scary or spooky Mm. is just how drastically things here have changed, Mm -hmm. just how drastically mindsets have changed here over the past few days. I mean, I'm out here on the road driving around. I came down here from St. Philip's. There's not a soul on the road. Really? I mean, it's, it's like unprecedented. Wow. This morning I went out to get a tea. Yeah. And, you know, there's, like, not a soul on the road nine o'clock in the morning. Wow. I guess for me, that part almost freaks me out a little yeah. bit more than anything else, just to, like— Yeah, gives the, you the, the, the apocalypse feel. Well, this is what I mean. Well, yeah. I, said, I said to the crowd yesterday, it was a beautiful day here yesterday. I was like, great day for an apocalypse, boss. <laughs> beautiful sun's out. Not a soul to be seen, yeah. right? Yeah. So in terms of that, like, I find myself each and every day getting a little bit more concerned, more and more and more concerned. Mm-hmm. I just don't know exactly what I should be doing about it. Is it time right. to completely withdraw and turtle shell? Right. Uh, given the time of the day, sometimes I think, yep, yeah, I should probably stay home. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Then on the other side of things, I'm kind of looking at, okay, well, if I can't mitigate the risk, how do I best mitigate the risk as mm-hmm. much as possible. So right. like me and you aren't exactly cuddling up here now while we're having this conversation, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So it's the type of thing where should we continue on in somewhat of somewhat of a level of normacy yeah. or should we completely change our attitudes yeah. for an extended period of time or an indefinite period of time, however long it takes? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but for me as a high school teacher in particular, mm. like the past week has been – Pretty spooky. Like, yeah. Literally, I went from Friday saying, see you later, boys. Make good choices. Right. No, be good. If you can't be good, be careful. See you on Monday. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm never going to see any of you again because school is closed. Uh, okay, yeah. And we have no idea when we're coming back. Yeah, exactly. Right? So definitely a gloom and doom scenario, which sort of prompted me to take it more serious. What are your thoughts, though, Don't Flag? That's what I want to know. What do you think of it all? Honestly, I don't <clears throat> think much of it. Okay. <laughs> I don't right. give my my energy to it very much okay. because, well, I thought about it as much as I needed to, to basically alter my behavior and whatever was needed. And so far it hasn't changed much because, um, sure. I'm not going to my friend's houses as much, but -hmm. that wasn't an often thing. Anyways, I basically only do what is necessary for me. Like, uh, I go to work and I go to a grocery store. That's pretty much it. Right. So I'm still doing that. It's called being old, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm kind of there too, so yeah. I can relate, yes. Yeah. So uh, my work has changed a little bit. 
Um, I have two jobs and one of them, the only one that's changed so far is uh, my drum teaching job because I, some of my students have chose to stay home, yep. but out of the most of those students that have chose to stay home, I've been teaching on Skype or FaceTime. So that's a little weird, but honestly it doesn't, in some ways it's better because some of the students pay more attention because their mom is like there being like, now you listen to Michael, make sure you listen to him. <laughs> right, Whereas yeah. when we're in class together, we're always goofing around and stuff like that. Right. Right. So other than that, I, I, I haven't found it stressful to me at all yet. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm actually worried about anything. Um, the only thing that would concern me is, well, the fact that it's in our hometown is kind of weird, yeah. but I know that those three people are in quarantine yeah. and gotten that from a, a source right. I can't yeah. name, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But those three people that are affected are in quarantine at this point. So that could be contained and who knows, it might not increase to any point beyond that. I think the thing, um, especially like, I mean, you, me and you are kind of privy to a little bit of inside information, just being mm. from Goose Bay, exactly, which, yeah. right? You know, people talk, you yeah. know, you kind of have a rough idea of who's who. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that concerns me would be Comparing uh, the number of known cases to, like, if I wanted to use an appropriate analogy, it would be, like, the drinking and driving announcements over the weekend, right? So, you know, on Monday, most of the time you tune into VOCM, they say, oh, on Friday night, there was three cases of drinking and driving, which were pulled over on the Pitts Memorial Highway, oh, okay. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you can look at that and go, oh, great, there's three people off the road who were caught drinking and driving. Right, right. Or you can be skeptical, like myself, mm. and kind of think, so you caught three, out of how many? <laughs> so, so thirty made it home, yeah, probably, right? Exactly. Um, so, that's kind of a little bit what spooks me about it. Right, it's like, yeah. so we know of three. Yeah. So, how many do we not know of? Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a lot more than that. Now, maybe, maybe not oh, in Goose Bay particularly, maybe not, yeah. but in the world in general, there's probably loads of people that have such uh, minor symptoms that they're not going to the hospital. They don't even consider themselves as sick. Yeah. They just might have a runny nose and think it's normal or mm -hmm. whatever. I don't even know what the symptoms are, honestly. Like, <laughs> I'm not even exactly sure what's different between this flu and the regular flu. Yeah, I, I, like, I'm not 100% up to date. I just know that, in particular, I saw a really helpful little ad that kind of explained it in basic concepts right. if you're stunned about this stuff like myself. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of like anything below the throat, if you feel you have a dry cough or if you yeah. have a fever you should probably consider being tested because there's a good chance you might have COVID-19. Okay. If stuffy nose, that's probably the common cold. Right. However, at yeah. this point, it's turning in like, <laughs> it's turned into the point where you're kind of afraid to have a cough. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. You're kind of afraid to sneeze the wrong way because fuck only knows who's watching. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So there's things like that that I really don't like about this scenario. That's probably, that's probably my main gripe mm -hmm. is just how skewed this has uh, kind of shifted mm -hmm. society. Yeah. How, how fast we've turned into these reclusive yeah. animals and how fast we've turned to distrusting and kind of spacing ourselves apart and right. being skeptical over everything. Uh, that's the worst of it. Do I think it's necessary? Yeah, a little bit. I'd yeah. probably have to say it's sure. a necessary evil for now, yeah. um, but I don't like this feeling. Yeah. It's certainly like, do you remember the H1N1 when yeah. we were in school, right? Yeah. Uh, I was in not school then. Okay. Well, I, I, I was out for a year, I think at that point. Right. So, yeah. but you remember the scare for yes. that. I mean, it was very much the same thing. Yeah. This feels like that had it progressed yeah. to the next level. Cause I can remember <clears throat> back then I was actually on tour at that point. So we were okay. traveling to the Maritimes oh, yes, and there was all this talk about, you know, be careful. You don't want to get H1N1. By that point in my life, I didn't, 
I didn't care. No. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was yeah. drunk half the time. Right. I didn't give a damn. Well, alcohol sanitizes, Mike. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. You know, I was taking care of myself. Exactly. <laughs> taking all the precautions necessary. But yeah, so at that point, I was just like, there's a blowover. I'm not worried. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And that that seemed to be the case. Like, it, by the time the tour ended, which is only 10 days, like, <clears> after <throat> the first, like, day or two, I didn't hear anything more about it. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem to be that uh, that intense. But now... Normally, I wouldn't even consider it that intense. It's just that places are shutting down. The fact that a whole country is in quarantine yeah. makes you think a little bit differently about it. Yeah. And from an economic point of view, mm. what's scary to me personally is what happens when this is over? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't pay a huge lot of attention to the stock market because, quite frankly, that shit is so cryptic. It's like... <laughs> it's like impossible to figure out, but yeah, just exactly. in terms of like, I can understand what an economic slowdown is. Right. I think most people can understand that. I think most people can relate to the concept that if Tim Hortons isn't selling any coffee, they're not making any money, mm-hmm. which means the boys that are working at Tim's are not getting paid, Yeah. which means they can't buy groceries, which means co-op can't get their money. You see where I'm yeah, going with exactly, this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, my big question is what kind of state are we going to be in? Mm. When this is all over, like, are we going straight towards another great depression here? I mean, mm. that's just kind of, Spout gloom and doom, but yeah. I don't look good. I know what you mean. Things yeah. do not look good. And personally, you know, you know this because we come from the town that's next to the ugliest project in the world, the Casa <laughs> Fortune. I mean, we're already like, we're we're piss poor as it is, mm-hmm. right? We haven't got pot piss in this province. <laughs> Imagine what happens now after this. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of long-term ramifications, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Like, do you think... Um, this is something we're going to easily bounce back from, mm. or do you think that this is going to have long-term ramifications? Uh, I guess <laughs> that's where my positivity really comes into play. Okay. Because I don't necessarily think we should bounce back. I think we should scrap the whole thing we got in place and Ooh. start from scratch. Oh, now we're talking. Okay, <laughs> let me let me have another swig of tea. Keep going. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. Like, for, for a long time, I don't know if you heard me uh, mention this on the other uh, episode of the podcast you listened to. Right. But I believe, and I have I believe we have sufficient reason to believe, that we can take care of everyone in the world without this whole monetary system in general. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're actually in a state of scarcity. I don't think there's actually a lack of resources. There's a lack of money, but that's because people want it to be that way. Now, if we made it our priority, like every government in the world made it their priority to actually start from scratch, meaning feed and clothe and shelter everybody on the earth, I know we could do it. Mm -hmm. Like we're not lacking in food. We're not lacking in energy sources. There are industries in place keeping us from doing that because they, they want to have control and power and whatnot. And that's, that's what's created the situation we're in. And I'm not necessarily saying that somebody deliberately made it that way. I'm saying we evolved from a place where we actually were in scarcity, but Mm -hmm. then we were so innovative that we came up with all these new ways to take care of each other. But those new ways have been suppressed for years. Like just like think of like the electric car or something like that. You know, they figured out how to make an electric car many, many years ago. Yeah. In the eighties, I believe, wasn't it? There's a whole documentary on who killed the electric car. Exactly. Right. And big industry was like, Nope, we can't, have that because where's our oil where are we going to get our oil profits essentially Mm. and i think that kind of mentality spans throughout our entire society so if we were to step away from that and you know governments actually became humanitarian rather than what they are now capitalistic capitalistic you Mm -hmm. know then i think we could actually take care of everyone in the world and then i don't really care about where it goes from there as long as everyone's fed and clothed and sheltered 
whatever happens after that is going to be a hell of a lot better than what we got right now. Okay. Because right now there's upwards of 50,000 people dying <clears throat> every day from malnutrition, which is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's all kinds of people dying from disease that don't, that they don't need to have because there's poison in our food, there's poison in our water, and nobody is actually told about how to take care of themselves. They're not educated on how to actually make themselves healthy. Mm-hmm. They're educated on how to make themselves happy, but their version of happy is more so distracted. So, you know, get drunk, eat shitty food, have a good time, that kind of thing, which kind of just leads to more and more disease, which leads to more and more uh, stress on the healthcare system, which leads to more and more money going away to different things that we don't actually need to be putting our money into. So, and when I think about the system in general, you know, a lot of people listen to me and probably call me like a communist or a socialist or something like that, but. Or an optimist. Or an optimist. (laughs) Because quite frankly, Mike, um, I agree Mm. uh, with, (laughs) I agree with your philosophy. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, there's no small yeah. trouble to tell I'm a big Star Trek fan. Exactly, right? yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't have a tattoo on my arm if it was not. However, yeah. the main problem I always had with Star Trek mm. was the idea that at some point in time, and like it's a beautiful philosophy to have, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't, I can't see it, mm-hmm. um, that at some point in time, people are going to be so motivated by wanting to contribute mm-hmm. and bettering themselves mm-hmm. as opposed to collection right and as opposed to consumption and as opposed quite frankly to greed right but where do you think that greed and desire for collection comes from so as an ideology greed ultimately comes from necessity for survival Mm -hmm. i think like if you really want to break it down to the most basic basic like analogy it would be like the squirrel who hoards his nuts yeah sure Mm -hmm. right why does why does the squirrel not take one nut hide it away yeah and then know fully well, okay, that's enough to get me through a week. Yeah. When the end of the week is over, I'll go get another one. Mm-hmm. No, he'll go and he'll hoard like 500,000 nuts right. all over the place <laughs> and forget half of them so that he got enough to make it through the winter. Exactly, yeah. Why is that, why is that mindset present in like l- lower order thinking animals? Mm. It must be to, to a degree like a survival instinct. Sure. It must be. Yep. So <clears throat> even just thinking off of that kind of angle, I don't know how we pivot from a capitalistic society where people are only ultimately motivated to go out and better themselves in order to make Mm. enough money to satisfy their needs. And it's like, it's a terrible, terrible shadow to cast on the whole human race, Mm -hmm. really. But in general, it's because like, if there's a lot of people that aren't, but yeah, true. mm. And the thing that the big problem I always had with money in particular is that Money is just a social construct. It mm-hmm. is. And that's the first argument you get from anyone who's of a socialistic mindset or right. a communistic mindset is they'll say money is a social construct. Yep. Yes, it is. But it's also the only way that we could kind of figure out a universal currency other than just resorting to the barter system, right. which only works if you have something that I want yeah, as exactly. well. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, it's ingenious in a way. Mm. Because we socially programmed a whole race of people to unanimously want something so that our system right. would function. Yeah. It's ingenious in a way. You yeah. might not like the system, but you can sort of admire it for oh, how 100%. it came to be, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know how we transfer and how we get to where you want to be. Mm. Um, I agree. I, th- I, I think that if someday we could get there, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sure, it would probably be better for everyone. There's no reason in the world why someone should starve to death because they do not have enough of something that is make-believe. Right, exactly, yeah. That is ridiculous. Make no wonder the fucking aliens have not stopped here <laughs> and they've just passed on. Yeah. It is, it's, 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 yeah. it's stupid. However, from a, from a for my like personal day-to-day life, mm. I can't think of a solution that's better mm-hmm. to how to make that work mm-hmm. because Every time that someone spouts uh, Marxist ideology to me or something like mm-hmm. that, all I hear is, yep, sounds good, sounds good, but we've tried this yeah. dozens of times around the world, mm-hmm. and they always have the same end result. They right. always have the same like dictatorial mm-hmm. uh, kind of structures that develop in these totalitarian re- regimes because ultimately at the end of the day, there's something like survival-wise mm-hmm. inside each and every person that if we can't change that – these regimes are always going to resort to these dictatorships. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. So the real question to me is not how do you gravitate from one economic system to another. Mm-hmm. That's not where I think you, how you solve this problem. How, how you solve the problem in my mind is how do you change what people want? Mm. And to me, I don't know if you can. Mm. So if you can't, the way that things are right now, I think might not be perfect, but it's kind of like democracy. It's the best possible way to conduct yourself yeah, yeah. that we know of. Mm-hmm. Now, if you could prove to me, or if, or if you have some suggestions on how we get from A to B, mm. yeah, like 100%, I'm willing to have my mind changed all the time. <laughs> sure. I've just heard so many arguments uh, in this fashion that just don't quite make sense. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and to the argument mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, we've tried it before and it always turns out to be dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Those systems are still built on an idea of scarcity. Okay. When it comes so, down so, to it. So j- just so we're on the same page, mm-hmm. can you really outline what you mean when you say scarcity for me? The just fact so that there's not enough. Okay, so scar- scarcity of resources or yep. scarcity of- Scarcity of energy, scarcity okay. of resources, scarcity of our fundamental needs. Of goods. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. So <clears throat> we could- you know, reallocate all the resources we are using to build skyscrapers and mm-hmm. house everybody in the world. We could reallocate all the resources we are using to grow food for animals to fatten them up mm-hmm. and feed everybody in the world. We could reallocate all the resources we're using to burn fossil fuels and instead invest in solar, wind, and geothermal and, and tidal and give everybody enough energy. Like there's no actual <clears throat> scarcity there. So okay. that survival mechanism that is ingrained in us, yeah, that's mm-hmm. there. But the only, the way we overcome that is by knowing that it's not necessary anymore. It's not necessary to hoard anymore. If if the squirrel knew that mm-hmm. there was an unlimited resource of nuts all around him all the time, he wouldn't hoard. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. There is enough for all of us all around us all the time, but there are a few select people that have worked for decades, if not hundreds of years, to allocate it towards their families to take care of their loved ones. And I'm not judging anyone. I probably would do the same if I was in that fear mindset still. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be like, I want to take care of my mom. I want to take care of my sister. I want to take care of all of these people. So I'm going to make enough money and I don't care who else is within lack because I need to feed my family. Yeah, the, the will to provide. Right? Exactly, right? Okay. And I think that's <clears throat> ingrained in us as well. And I'm not saying it isn't necessary, but at this point where we actually can be aware 
that there is enough to go around, that would change everything. Because the only reason why we gravitate towards dictatorships in those situations is because we're like, okay, we're going to give everyone the same amount, but we still, like the people in the dictators, like, well, we only have this much, so we got to ration you guys. We can only give you this much, and we can only give you that much. It's equal, but it's the same amount. Now, that doesn't work when you're based on scarcity, but we have the technology to grow food all over the world. We could do like vertical farming and stuff like that. We could have enough food for everyone overnight if we truly wanted to. Mm-hmm. We could have the energy systems in place to heat everyone's house overnight if we truly wanted to. Now, I don't know if it would actually be overnight, but you know what I mean. I get it. Yeah, I hear what you're yeah. saying. Okay. But it, that's the main idea that keeps us going back to those kinds of systems is the fact that there's not enough to go around. But that's inherently untrue. Like when you actually look at it, you know, you could – it's not the actual amount of resources that is the issue. The earth provides more than enough than we need to take everyone, take care of everybody on it. But like I said, some people have hoarded it all for themselves so they can take care of themselves and their loved ones and prosper in their way. And they're willing to sacrifice the, low, the lives of others to put themselves in that position. So it's – the only thing we really need to do is understand that that's untrue. The fact- and therein lies the problem, I think. Hmm. Therein lies the problem. So – if you could do a, so so I'll assume for now. Let's let's make the assumption that where you want to go with this is, let's just say that society got on board and said, "Yep, this is a good idea." Right. Uh, the middle class has all agreed. We've all come together and we've decided that, "Yep, this sounds good. We want to move in this direction." Right. How you get there is always where I find we're in the woods. Mm-hmm. Okay, because. There's never been an approach yet that I've heard of, mm-hmm. of how to transition from a capitalistic hoarding society right. to, a, to an equal distribution of goods and services across the board. I've never heard a good argument for how do we get from there to there mm-hmm. without taking from someone. Somebody mm-hmm. has to lose. And the way that the system is set up, it's kind of a meritocracy in a way. I mean, the, the oil tycoon can argue to you, well, the reason why I'm worth $4 billion is because, you know, I started going from door to door, knocking, right. selling oil. And next thing you know, I had three or four trucks. Next thing you know, I had three yep. or four ships. I may mm-hmm. or may not be referencing someone from our hometown, but you know what I mean, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the type, it's the type of thing where, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, definitely. You, you built an empire yep. and now somebody wants to take it away from yeah, you. Yeah, sure. So how do you do, how do you get where you want to be? And I don't mean you mm-hmm. specifically, but how do you get to this, utopian ideology mm-hmm. without taking from those people. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I can think of is like literally the hard reset of like, Oh, society, the arse has gone out of her. Mm-hmm. She's done hundred percent. Right. So we're starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's try something different right now, which well could, well could be right now. And, <laughs> it's the and, 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 and to me, that's very scary. Yeah, sure. Right? Cause change, change oftentimes happens violently. Yeah. Right. Change but it doesn't have to. It, it doesn't have to, but mm-hmm. if history has shown one thing, it's that abrupt change, mm-hmm. paradigm shifts usually come with like dramatic, mm-hmm. dramatic consequences. Yep. And that's where my f- fear has always been in terms yeah. of like all these ideologies, there's there's always like a, a bad trail of bread, breadcrumbs yeah. that follow this shit, right? I get what you mean. So even though I would probably tend to lean in the direction of saying, yeah, I, th- I think where you want to get is an admirable place. Mm. Don't know if I'm willing to go there. Yeah. Don't think I'm willing to go there just because I can't, I can't imagine how we get there without shedding blood. Mm. Well, the whole idea of having to take, I don't like, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But taking from someone who's a multi-billionaire so they're down to a multi-millionaire <clears throat> to me is not shedding blood. Right. But even that, like I said, I think the ideal is to let go of all the monetary system in general. Like, and like you said, the monetary system was a brilliant system at one point, mm-hmm. but it's no longer necessary. It was put in place because it was necessary because barter just never made sense at one point. Right. You wanted something for me and I never had something that you wanted. So we needed some sort of a currency. So it yeah. made – it was brilliant. Yeah. But – we got to a point where we're at a higher level of consciousness now and we can understand how we can actually take care of each other on a, on a bigger level. So the way we do it is just by making minor steps towards it. So for one, you kind of change the legislation that's put in place to prevent us from doing these things. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I'm I'm sure you're probably aware, but um, in Newfoundland and Labrador, it is essentially illegal to make your own power. Yes, it is. You yeah. need to be connected to the grid. Yep. It's part of the law. Get rid of that law. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets solar panels. Everybody gets wind turbines. Everybody gets something that yeah. provides them with power. Like if you had an exercise machine in your house that every time you pedaled, it generated power, then you could turn on your own lights. You know, everything we do can make power. So there's all kinds of different ways we can do that. You get I rid agree. of that legislation. I, I agree. And that, and that to a large degree was a response because of Okay, muskrat fall. Exactly. Unfortunately, because mm-hmm. they said, all right, well, what's going to happen when electricity goes from 11 cents a kilowatt hour yeah. to 21? Mm-hmm. Well, there's going to be every, there's going to be more solar panels and shingles on people's roofs. Exactly. Right? So we got to put a stop so to that. So we need to put a stop to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't like legislation in general. Yeah. Uh, if I really had to categorize how I feel about governments, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> not good. Yeah, <laughs> what would exactly. be the answer? I'm, You'd I'm, probably be with the majority, honestly. Yeah. At I, this I, point, I, especially. I'm... I'm trying to remember exactly what the term is ha- here now. Um, oh my God. It's escaping me. I'll think of it later. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's basically where you don't subscribe to really big government in general. You, right. you like small government. Okay. It's, it's a branch off of conservative ideology actually. Okay. Uh, oh my God. Libertarian. Okay. Li- libertarianism. Okay. That's what it is. I've heard that word, but I don't know exactly what it means. So essentially what that is to sum it up mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge is the less the government has to do with your day-to-day life, the better. Mm-hmm. So in general, I'm not a fan of new laws or mm-hmm. new rules. Right. So here's a really stupid example, but this is one that served to annoy me a couple of years ago. Mm. They legislated in Newfoundland Labrador in 2017, I think, that it was mandatory to wear a helmet on bicycle. Mm. Now, I, don't, I haven't been on fucking bikes since I was in like, I don't know, grade six or something, or probably like grade 10. Yeah, sure. But just the fact that that's one more thing that you can be ticketed for, just the fact that there's something I can't do today that I could do yesterday. And it only harms you. And it only harms me. It was the type of thing where like, listen, if I I own the fucking bicycle, Mm. I want to ride around with my goddamn helmet on, I'm going to do it, (laughs) right? Exactly, yeah. And now I I can't do that anymore. So I don't like laws like that. I don't like laws that are based solely for financial gain or mm. just to control yeah. just because it seems like a good idea. Mm. And really it's for financial gain because guess what happens when I fall off my bike and crack my head mm. and I have to be hospitalized for four or five days. Well, yep. I cost the provincial government exactly. money. Exactly. That's where that comes from. It has nothing to do about caring about me being safe no. and getting home so I can fucking sit down with a big bag of chips and watch Star Trek tonight. They don't care about that. <laughs> yeah. They just care about having to pay for that bed. Exactly. Yeah. And so I don't like that shit. That drives mm. me. However, um, Coming back to your point about the power, mm. it was very much so the same, the same thing. I, I do think you as an individual, you own a piece of property, mm-hmm. you own your house, mm-hmm. you should be able to power it however you want. If you want to have 4,000 hamsters running on a wheel <laughs> to power your oven and hot water tank, yeah. you should be By able to do means. it. 
I'm not. No, a fan. I would say liberate those hamsters, but okay, all right, all right. Well, you know, <laughs> that's just me. But I see where you're getting. Hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah, I don't. I don't like that stuff either. So we can certainly come to a consensus. Yeah. There for sure. Exactly. And I think everybody understands that. Mm-hmm. Everybody would, given this explanation of how it could actually work, they'd be like, "Yeah, that makes so sense." So deregulation is what we're talking about, essentially. Yeah. De- de- start. So if you make some small changes. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good example. You got my interest peaked now. Mm. What else do you think we could shed? What, uh, what else do you think we could kind of get rid of just to deregulate society a little bit? Uh, the first <clears> thing <throat> to pop in my head, and it's not necessarily the one that's uh, the most prominent or the most effective, but uh, this one, I always wonder why we're not doing it. And I know why, but it's to grow hemp. Okay. Because you could replace the plastic industry overnight. You know, that could be gone. We could do everything we need with plastic with hemp, essentially. Actually, I don't know that for sure. I don't know if it's every single product you can make with plastic you can make with hemp, but you could do a lot of it. And then uh, you could you could decrease deforestation as well. You'd have to – you can grow as much – you could grow the amount of paper you can make with the amount of trees you can make is – far greater like you would need far more trees to make the same amount of paper you would with hemp and trees take decades if not 50 to 100 years to grow right whereas uh hemp takes like a couple months you know what i mean so and then there's so many industries that would fall because if hemp was in place and then there's concrete and stuff like that so you could you wouldn't have to drill into the earth and take out other minerals and whatnot so that's one way um my mind is not really coming up with every solution, but no, no, it's, no, let's no. see if, like, do you have... So little changes to make a ripple. Yeah. <clears throat> and, like, there's so many industries that are in place that could be affected if you just support other industries that are doing these things that are actually saving the world. You know, support, give your money to the industries, you know, donate to an industry or something like that that actually works on, you know... A, sustainable energy resource rather than uh, fossil fuels or something like that. There's so many different ways you can do that. So like the three main categories, like I said, are feeding, clothing, and sheltering. So that's the main thing that we all need. We all need heat. Well, not everybody, but like in our part of the world, we do. We would die if we never had heat. And everybody would die if they never had food. Mm -hmm. And shelter is, uh, clothing is also very essential as well. Well, you know, there's certain tribes and stuff like that that live pretty much naked and by all means go nuts, man. But with our current uh, mentality and our ideas around the body and how it shouldn't be exposed and stuff like that, that that would take a little bit of uh, another type of consciousness shift to get people used to seeing naked bodies everywhere. A paradigm shift, I think. Exactly. There you go. Um, In terms of uh, just kind of transitioning into that type of society. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I, I agree in a sense of like, is it doable? Mm. Yes. Do I think we really understand how to maintain the level of the capitalistic system we have going today? Mm. I think we don't, but think we do, mm. if that makes sense. Oh, we think. Like, I, th- I, yeah. I, I, th- I think we don't actually know how to control people it. people think But we do. people are under the impression that we do. Yeah. So th- by, by no means do I kind of want to mince words here over like what type of, like what your socialistic belief is and what mm-hmm. mine is. But personally myself, I would call myself a capitalist for mm-hmm. the reason I explained earlier, because mm-hmm. I don't know how, what else to do. Right, exactly. But I'm willing to listen. Yep. Um, however, when it comes to... Uh, just in general, like transitioning away from 
a known system of how we get our groceries, how we get our goods and services, mm-hmm. how you buy your flour up to Walmart or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the solution is to deregulate mm-hmm. um, or to increase competition mm. therein or make it more feasible for people to compete, which in itself is another capitalistic right. ideology. Yep. So one of the things in particular that irked me last year, and we actually talked about it on the podcast was Apple seems to just be taking over the world in yeah. terms of like, and Apple and Amazon and Google, right? Right. Yeah. Um, we did a whole episode on this last year. And the thing that bothered me with it was how they seem to be stepping into different puddles that they weren't previously in. So at the okay. time, I believe the Apple credit card was just coming out. Oh. And it was the type was of thing. thing where when I heard about Apple getting into like the financial system, mm-hmm. I was like, so great. Like, where does it stop? Are they going to be making hot dogs by this time next year too? Yeah. So are we just going to end up with like a Whalen yutani type of company and aliens, which just runs the whole world? One company has mm. everything taken over because mm-hmm. that's where we're heading yep. with these massive monstrosities. And I think that, Back in the day when, you know, I don't know who really pioneered the capitalistic system, but it was probably, probably come from Europe, I would say, somewhere in there. I don't know. You'd have to do the history on that. But I'm sure they didn't anticipate that a company could grow so huge that it could effectively corner the market in every corner of the world. And see, the thing is, is that the way it's set up is that it's ostensibly a free market where Mm -hmm. everybody can compete. But I'm sure you're aware of many instances, as I am, about where... Um, companies come up and they actually have a good product and they start making a lot of money. And then the bigger fish in the pond basically shut them down. Yep. There's no actual free market. Yep. It's, it's a charade yep. like all the rest of it. Uh, somebody with a brand new idea that could become rich overnight, if they don't like what you stand for <clears throat> and you're actually trying to change the world for the better or something like that, they will shut you down because you're not playing ball with them. Yeah. So that's why you'll have stuff like you know, secret societies and stuff like that. They get you in there and they make you do horrible stuff so that they have leverage over you. You do what they say then. Yeah. So that's the case with a lot of people in power. They're all connected to each other and they're all uh, like- yeah, The uh, old boys club. Exactly. Right? And the, the big problem that I always have with that, like uh, we talked about the electric car there earlier. Mm. I can't remember who bought the electric car patent. Mm. I'd have to go back and rewatch the documentary, but let's just say for sake of argument that it was another automaker like Ford. Sure. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with Ford buying out that idea if they plan to develop it and right. knew they could do it better. Yeah, sure. Because, By all means. Because that is really what free enterprise is all about. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a funny thing that I can own an idea anyways. Mm, yeah. A bit of a strange <laughs> construct. But yeah. if you're going to take my idea, I would hope that it would be so that you could better improve upon it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem that I have with those types of scenarios is that, no, you're buying it to throw it into garbage. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that. Because it threatens your I don't like that. Situation. Should, should there be a way to protect ideas? Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't know how we do it. Once yeah. again, here I am. I don't have the solution to this. Yeah. Yeah. But that is that a problem? 100%. Yeah. Has that held us back? 100%. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a reason why in the Back to the Future movies, they thought that Marty McFly would be on a hoverboard yeah. in 2018 or whatever it was. Yeah. Right? And a lot of that is because, it, you know, it's, it's pretty surprising, actually, that we haven't really changed. Mm. Aside from, you know, smartphones yeah. and internet. Yeah. What else has really changed that for helped, the most part? That helped the agenda. Well, Distract us. Keep us uh, docile, mm-hmm. you know? keep us from asking questions because I'm a victim of it myself 
are, you know, I can be to blame as well. Like I could get lost in my phone for hours some days yep. because it's just like, oh, why do something when I can be entertained? I have unlimited entertainment at my fingertips. Everything I dreamed of when I was a kid watching TV being like, I don't have to watch commercials, you know, like that. I was so hooked on TV when I was a kid. I was like, I was always flicking through channels oh, during commercials yep. because I just wanted more and more entertainment. So then, you know, I used to imagine back then something like a smartphone where you would have unlimited, you could watch any show you want at any time. So now that we have that power, everybody's so hooked on it. And it makes sense that you would be because you don't want to look outside at what's going on because the world is, like you said, the arse is falling out of her. Before this virus even started, the arse was falling out of her. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, people didn't want to discuss these types of things because like yourself, they didn't see a solution, Mm -hmm. but the solution is to just make the institutions that are in place make it their priority to actually be humanitarian makes it so they actually take care of all the people because that can be done Mm -hmm. and if we start moving towards that then who knows where we'll go from there so how do you change a global mindset um to get people on board with a similar ideology Mm. when you have so many different places in the world these countries in general Mm -hmm. that are built on the fact that they have, the reason why borders exist is because we have different ideologies, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So w- in order to get there, wouldn't you almost have to have like a global unity, which, mm. you know. Or the, at least the majority. Don't know how we get there either, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I can, I see the merit in what you're saying mm. for sure. Um, I just don't know. I, once again, I don't know how we get there. I mm. don't know how we get there without, you know, to erase those borders so that we can yeah. get, one country, you know, the United States of the world yeah. or the Canada of the world, whatever Just you want Earth. to call it. Earth. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> in order to yeah. get to Earth, all encompassing, United yeah. Earth, like in Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, you got to race a lot of lines. Yeah. Racing a lot of lines means racing a lot of people, yeah. unfortunately. Not necessarily. Well, it's it's erasing that mentality in them that they're scared. Mm-hmm. You know, and most people are scared because they don't know where their next dollar is coming from. True. But how do you, how do you modify like a country like China, for example? Mm. Um, suppose, supposedly a communistic society, mm-hmm. not really, not it's, really. it's kind the of a quasi, really. quasi dictatorship mixed with the more admirable parts of capitalism, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. parts we want, yeah. but without the control that kind of necessitates for that whole system to function without real true free enterprise, right. we just kind of adopted into our own Chinese capitalistic society. That's really communism, but mm. whatever. How do you deal with a country like that? that the last thing in the world they would ever want to do would be to relinquish any ideology that they currently hold. And mm. in fact, they go at more than out of their way to try to suppress right. the spread of new ideas. Right. Um, how would you, how, how do you get I would effectively one sixth of the world's population on board? Right? I would say that the leaders and the people in power over there are mm. the ones that'll be hard to change, but the people in general know that their conditions are not great. And if you can offer them something better, you know, if we, if somehow it was made possible for this type of community we're professing here to buy an island or something like that and start this whole society, mm-hmm. and we'd be like, our borders are open, come here, we grow enough food for everyone, and so on and so forth. Obviously, we'll have to expand outward, but the point <clears throat> is, is to start doing it so people can see that it's possible. And what's different nowadays than what was different hundred years ago when people started trying these systems of, you know, like with Marxism and stuff like that. The reason why it didn't work is because we never had a global community the way we do now. We can talk to everyone now. Mm-hmm. We can 
you might be scared and not know what's going to happen. You may not like the way you're living, but then you can go on the internet. And if you see an advertisement on the internet being like, come to our new society where you get everything you need and everyone's taken care of and we all take care of each other, more and more people are going to be attracted to that idea. It's not that the billion people or whatever in China are all about the communist system they're in. Mm -hmm. It's the people who are controlling China that's about that. But if you look, like there's, I'm pretty sure there's Apple factories oh, 100%. in China yes. where people- they put nets outside of their buildings to catch people We're from jumping, off, yeah. jumping out yeah. because they're in such horrible, horrendous working conditions. So mm -hmm. it wouldn't take much to change the minds of the people when you truly show them that they don't need to live like this. Mm -hmm. The reason why we have those borders and boundaries is because we are scared. And we're scared because we don't know how we're going to get our food and we don't know how we're going to pay for our rent and so on and so forth. But if that wasn't an issue, everybody's consciousness would change. And just to answer the questions like how do you shift the consciousness of everyone? This. Talking. Exactly. Conversation. Right. Before you came here, you're staunch capitalist. Mm -hmm. Now you're starting to be like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> well, I, 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 I still would definitely consider myself capitalist. Sure. It's just the type of thing where it's like, once again, I, I will concede Yes, I'd love to see a time and place where mm. my sole purpose for being is to better myself mm. and everyone that I know and everyone around And enjoy me. your life. And enjoy my life, yes, mm -hmm. and not be a slave to the system per exactly. se. I just can't concede that it's possible because I don't know how to get anyone on board of anything. Anytime, mm. like as a teacher, one of the most difficult things is to can, to sell an idea. Yeah, sure. Right? It's It's one of the most difficult things you can ever do. If I can't get a classroom of 30 mm -hmm. to agree that oedipus is necessary to know yeah maybe it's not yeah. but i need to convince you it is otherwise you're going to get a four out of a hundred on your test right right and if i can't convince you of an ideology with 30 people how am i going to do it with the world mm. and even if i did what do i do with those who dissent mm -hmm. so let's say that we do get everyone on board and that you change everyone's mind and you satisfy the three categories we talked about mm -hmm. we attain that level you want mm -hmm. um what do we do with those who aren't happy with that, those mm. who desire more or those who fundamentally disagree with what we're doing. Sure. How do you deal with those who dissent? Because that really is how you judge whether a society is free or not. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Because when Lenin and the boys got the union going <laughs> back in 1918 yeah. or 1922, whatever it was, you know, they had lots of great speeches, lots of great ideas. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until people started to disagree mm -hmm. that they started really gravitating towards you know these brutal tactics in order to keep their idea in power sure um how do you keep utopia from descending into dystopia mm. right mm -hmm. um once again is it possible mm -hmm. is it possible to collectively agree on anything mm. i would have to say no mm -hmm. um but i'm optimistic and it's nice to know that there's people like yourself that do they say yes it is possible mm. 100 percent. That, that's good we need you that's where we're going we, we need you it's inevitable now because those of us that are <laughs> pessimists that hide behind the world realism yeah um we need people like you mm. <laughs> in order to try to shove us forward <laughs> into the darkness well, i'm glad um, i'm appreciated but uh no it's an interesting thought for sure yeah i, I definitely think that that's a, a good idea yeah so your question was basically, how do we assuage the people who still want more, even when they're provided for? Or even just anyone who fundamentally thinks they could, we could be doing something different. Mm. Do you adopt what they want to do? Do you You'd have to try give an to example, I guess. Okay. So let's say we do away with currency. Mm -hmm. um, whatever system of government we have, let's just say for sake of argument that it's just like a, it's a libertarian society okay. where- 
I'm the leader. I have as little as possible to mm-hmm. do with your lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. But healthcare is free. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have one flu shot a year. Okay. Okay. All of a sudden, Mr. Dunphy comes up and says, I'd like to have two flu shots a year because there's usually two flus a year. Right. Do I give everyone two flu shots a year or do I just give you two flu shots a year? Or do I tell you, no, we can't do that. Because the second I tell you, no, Mm -hmm. I've imposed a set of rules on you. And right away, there's the dissension. Mm -hmm. You're over here. You want to. I'm telling you, you only need one. Yep. How do we get, what do we do? (laughs) First of all, you wouldn't be the sole leader. Okay. There would be a, um, for lack of a better word, a Congress of people. Like what we have now. The most educated in all the sciences, Mm -hmm. in in all the philosophies, in all the economics, everybody who understands the experts in every field come Mm -hmm. together and make decisions for the whole. And they are transparent. They share their reasoning. Now, the governments we have in place now, they often do things and don't give their reasoning, but they think they're doing it for the greater good. Like we can't explain that to the public. We can't tell them the truth because they would panic and they wouldn't understand. But if – we were in the society where everybody trusted the people who were in charge because they were transparent, then that would be different. If you, if I came to you and said, I want two shots, then you wouldn't say no. You'd be like, well, why do you want two shots? And I'd be like, mm-hmm. well, it makes more sense. And then we would talk about it and we'd bring in other people and we'd have a big discussion about it and we'd come to a conclusion for the, for the whole. And you might say, oh, some people need two shots because their immune systems are weaker. So we'll give them two shots. You know, we'll discuss it. That's the whole point about everything is the education, the understanding is where we go. Mm-hmm. There's no more ignorance. Everything is transparent. Everything is out there. You can still have your own private life and choose to not share what you don't want to share. But when it comes to policymaking and legislation, if there is anything like that, all going to be transparent. Interesting. The only uh, thing that you said there that kind of concerned me just a little bit at all mm-hmm. is um, you mentioned about having the most educated people, like the scientists and stuff, basically yep. making decisions. Yep. How do you prevent that from just developing into a total aristocracy where it's now we have a, an upper tier, an mm. upper echelon of people making decisions for everyone else who, if we're the educated ones, what does that make everyone else? Mm. Aside from the word ignorant, I don't know. Mm. Um, well, they're educated in those <clears throat> fields. Okay. Um, and the Everybody's pro- going to be educated in some fields. Right. And, and a lot of people are going to be educated in multiple fields and play multiple roles. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be only a scientist anymore. You're going to be a scientist and a gardener and a philosopher and all these things. Everybody's going to have multiple roles. You're going to do exactly what you want to do. That's the definition of a free society. You are allowed to a- pursue any achievement you want in this society. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't learn. If you want to join that upper echelon, then you're going to go to school and study for it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to meet with those people and learn from them. Okay. And then you can become one of the leaders. It's not like anybody's going to be prevented from being a leader. If you want to be a leader, you just got to work hard to become a leader. Would you say that in order to be a leader, in order to be a scientist, that you have to be relatively uh, – do you think you need to be smart to be educated? And by smart uh, – I'll kind of clarify that a little bit because smart is a really relative term, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are those who suffer from intellectual disability. Mm. There are those who suffer from learning disabilities Mm -hmm. in general, um, dyslexia, dysgraphia, just name a few. Mm -hmm. Those people would find it very difficult to ever become part of the upper echelon to educate themselves. If that was the criteria you needed to get into that upper category. Right. So right away, um, they're kind of disbarred from Mm. ever getting into that position. Right. Is that fair? Um, 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing your ideology because they're yep. kind of disparate as it is now. Sure. When was the last time you ever saw someone, for example, on the spectrum in mm-hmm. a in a governmental position exactly. in terms of like to represent a legislative body? Yeah. When was the last time you ever seen uh, someone on the spectrum as prime minister? Mm, exactly. Right? Yep. So there's not really equal representation anyways as it is mm-hmm. because equal representation, in my opinion, I, I think is unattainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so- in this case where we're talking about if education is the key in order to become a leader or a part of a collective that leads, mm-hmm. um, how do we change our definition of what educated is in order to encompass everyone? Mm. What do you think? Well, everyone's going to be educated. It depends on what you're educated on. If you're dyslexic or something like that, you may have trouble reading, but you can still learn <clears throat> a multiple, uh, like a multitude of different skills. And in this free society where everyone understands their value, when no one, where no one is given this whole idea that you're less than because you're not as intelligent, like that's the way we treat people, regardless of how we pretend to treat the disabled. I agree. We treat them as if they're less than than us. Mm -hmm. So if you are grown up disabled, but you are shown love and you are told that you are just as equal as everyone else, you just have a difference. There's, it's not less, it's not better. You are just different. You won't have this insecurity that makes you think, oh, I want to be a leader so I can feel good about myself. You'll already feel good about yourself. And since you feel good about yourself, you won't want to take on a task that you don't think you're equipped for. Like, for an example, if you're dyslexic and you have- we're talking about eliminating inadequacy. Yeah. Is what you're talking about. Essentially. The feeling of, I feel inadequate because of this. Yeah. Okay. I'm just just mentally- Seeing where this is going. Exactly, yeah. So if you are dyslexic and you want to be a scientist, but you have trouble reading, then somebody will help you improve that. I don't think there's a boundary. Like you're dyslexic and that's it. There's no fixing it. I think it's a matter of training. I actually read, somebody gave me a book a few years ago on dyslexia and other learning abilities. And I read it and it only showed me what I already thought. And then a lot of these uh, disabilities can be improved, if not completely eradicated with the right attention. And so I've noticed this tendency in myself, and this is why I had this idea, is because sometimes when I'm reading a book, if I'm in a, a more frantic state and I want to get to the next paragraph or something like that, I'll notice that I read a sentence with the words switched around. Sure. And then I'm like, oh, wait, that was wrong, and I'll go back. <clears throat> but someone who has that as a tendency, as a pattern, is because they seen that as something in them when they were young, and they didn't know what it took to fix it. So it became a reoccurring pattern. So they need to lower the stress level in themselves. And by doing that, they can take some time and be like, okay, why do you see these words in backwards order? Look at that one, the then look at that one, take it slow. And then if you start slow and do it in order, then eventually you'll get faster and faster and faster and faster. And if you are a healthy being and your mind is uh, nurtured properly, then you will have the ability to overcome that said learning disability. Now for people with maybe like a brain disorder, like maybe they don't have uh, a certain genetic or something like that, they can still understand on another level Like I said, like they will still feel adequate. They will still know that they are appreciated and they're valued in the society for different reasons. And somebody will just explain to them at some point, because of your disability right now, we can work on it and we can spend the rest of your life trying to change it if you like. But right now you don't have the capacity to take on the responsibility to be a scientist or a leader or whatever like that. So if you truly want that, then yes, let's work towards it. And somebody will help them. Simple as that. There's always going to be someone to help because there's more than enough people to help more than enough people. Mm -hmm. So there isn't that state of you're just not allowed to do it. If you 
grown up and you have this disability and you want to become something, but your disability uh, precludes, is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it kind of like omits you. From yeah, if that precludes it. you from doing it, then we can work on it together. Okay, let's let's just talk about disabilities for a second. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I find uh, really puzzling as an educator hmm. um, is I don't know if erasing the line between disability and ability hmm. is functional. I don't know if it's helpful either. Mm -hmm. um, right now, there's a trend in education just in general to try to blur the lines between sure. these two things. Yep. To say that someone is like operates differently mm -hmm. as opposed to someone has this blah, 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 disability. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Once again, another one of these ideas that sounds really good, mm -hmm. appeals to the masses. Um, as an educator, when it comes to fixing problems that people have, mm -hmm. how do we fix problems if we start declaring them to not be problems in the first place? So when someone, mm -hmm. for example, says, um, I'll just use a really basic example, like dyslexia is one. Mm -hmm. If someone says, well, to be dyslexic is a thing, mm -hmm. okay, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just a different way to read. Mm -hmm. Okay, so are we saying that there's a correct way to read and you're mm -hmm. not doing it? Right. Or are we saying that, no, as long as you can get the job done, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I find it really confusing because the system in general, I'm just purely kind of going on a tangent here about education. The system operates off of, off of doing things the right way mm -hmm. and then doing things the wrong way because mm -hmm. we will correct you if you're doing it the wrong way. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it's trying to tell people that, no, no, there's a thousand different ways to do things. Yeah. Um, but you're doing it wrong according yeah. to us. And well, that's fine, apparently, mm -hmm. until we go to correct you on it. Yeah. So it's kind of contradictory. I don't know if it's constructive to tell someone who, I don't know, has a, uh, has, I don't, I don't know, like a, a mute disability or mm -hmm. someone who can't talk. Right. That uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Because if we say that, yeah, there's just a different way of being is a different way of existing. Mm -hmm. Will that not discourage any research and any attempt mm. to possibly lead to a cure yeah. for that illness or that malady that you have? Mm -hmm. That's the danger I see in writing things off and saying mm. that, yeah, no, that they're just a different way to be. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's fine. As long as you can function differently, that's fine. To me, that's dangerous because if we do that, it discourages research and it discourages if you can't, you can't solve problems that you don't identify. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So do you think that we should still try to fix things mm. or do you think that we should adopt everything into a new norm and mm. kind of try to be inclusive overall? Because that's the term we're really talking about here is just inclusion in general. Mm -hmm. Right. What mm -hmm. do you think? Well, <clears throat> first of all, it would be, uh, correct and incorrect, not right and wrong. Mm -hmm, right. If say, if you're a mute mm -hmm. and you're perfectly happy being a mute and you can live your life and you're doing what you like to do and you're fulfilled in what you are doing, then by all means, you don't ever have to talk. Mm -hmm. But if you want to take on a job where you speak, then we'll be like the correct yes. way to do it is to learn how to speak. Yeah. If you're dyslexic and I would never say that we're going to write off the boundaries. It's good to understand every situation. Understanding is the key to all of this. Understanding why they became dyslexic in the first place, what caused it, how can we get to the root of it and can we actually get rid of it? If that's what they want, if they're perfectly happy being dyslexic by all means, but if they say, hey, I want to be a scientist, like, well, there is a correct way to read a scientific sure. paper. If you're reading it backwards, it can confuse you. It's not that you're bad or good. It's not wrong or right. 
is that in this situation, if your desire is to read the scientific paper, then you must learn how to do it correctly. And that's not saying anything negative about you as a human being. No, that's, that's right. That's not yeah. saying you're less than or inadequate in any way. It's just saying you're not equipped. So if I wanted, uh, I use this example in um, in my podcast with Greg, if I wanted to operate a crane, I had to do it correctly. And <laughs> yeah. if someone's like, you're not doing it right, <laughs> like, right. well, I like my way. Yeah. And you offend me when I, you yeah. tell me that. That's right. That's well, not some, helpful. Well, sometimes you have to run the risk of being offensive to get to the truth. Of course. Right? Yep. Sometimes uh, you do have to run that risk because yep. if you don't risk saying what needs to be said, yep. sometimes you tend to omit some very important yeah, things, right? Exactly. Um, another good example of something like that would be like a speech impediment, for example. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a lisp or if you have a stammer or, or something like that, yep. are these things that, because right now there's a tendency in education that I won't say they're not trying to fix it because there still are speech pathologists and stuff like that that are operating in the system, mm-hmm. but there's a far less emphasis on it must be corrected right, right, as right. opposed to we must adapt in yeah. order to kind of like the Borg. We we must adapt mm. in order to best service them. Yeah. Um. Once again, I find that's a dangerous road to go down. Just in mm-hmm. terms of like, or not even. I shouldn't use the word dangerous. It's an inconsiderate road mm-hmm. to go down. Mm-hmm. Um. Because it's human nature to poke fun of. Yep. People that are different. Sure. It's human nature to. I would argue that. Though. Be, be, to that be comes wearing. from the inadequacy we feel. Yeah. And, and 100%. I have no desire to poke fun at people who are in, a, in different in any way because yeah. I don't feel inadequate about myself. When right. I was younger, I did. 100%. So well, I was, like was going to say, I would be 100% lying here if I said I didn't make fun of things that exactly. I probably shouldn't have when I was a kid. Exactly. Um, and whether that's based in that inadequacies, mm-hmm. could be. I certainly wasn't aware of that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, same. Right? Yeah. If you asked me, what's wrong with you, Josh? Boy, when I was a kid, I would have been, ah, nothing about I'm perfect. What about <laughs> yeah. you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, but in terms of like uh, a stammer or a, a stoppage in the speech or whatever, mm-hmm. these are things that I do think probably should be corrected. Sure. If possible. I'm a strong proponent of that. I think that, you know, if someone does have... Uh, a stoppage in their speech, you should take them out of the class and give them some one-on-one training to get that rectified. As opposed to trying to convince 20 other students to accept him for what he is. Because really the reason we're not fixing him is um, because it costs $60,000 to have a speech pathologist Mm. in the building. And we can't afford that. Yeah. So let's get all of you guys to change your minds. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it's it's, it's a sinister thing that's kind of wrapped up in a nice rosy. Yeah blanket of inclusion right mm-hmm. again it comes down to explanation and understanding when mm-hmm. that kid develops this uh stutter or whatever when they're young you would explain to them listen um <clears throat> throughout your life you're going to want to un- you're going to want people to understand what your thoughts are mm-hmm. and the best way to do that is to be able to articulate what your thoughts are and if you want help doing that we will help you yep but if you want if you don't care about being understood and by all means go stutter and do what you want to do whatever makes you feel good. We're still going to take care of you. We're still going to feed you. We're still going to clothe you. And we're still going to give you energy and heat and love mm-hmm. and all the things you want. But if you want ever to be in a position where you need to speak to someone else, if you want to have that power, essentially, if you want to have that ability to articulate your thoughts properly, then you're going to need work. And it doesn't mean you're less than us. It just means you're different. Mm-hmm. And so we'll define it as like, yeah, you have a stutter. That's what we call it. So we can 
understand it and mm-hmm. work to remedy the situation. But it's not to put you in a box different from anybody else because everybody has these labels. We all have these labels, but all these labels are not the permanency of what we are. The permanency of what we are is the true loving beings that we are at our core. So if everybody understands that, then everybody can take on labels. Like you could label me in certain ways and you could label you in certain ways, but we aren't our labels. Those are just things about us. But at our core, we're just- Characteristics. They're just characteristics. Mm -hmm. If you have a stutter, it's just a characteristic. And if you want to ever be a public speaker, then you're going to need to work on that characteristic. And it doesn't say anything about who you are and the value of what you are. It just says that if your desire is to articulate, then you need to practice. So what what you're saying essentially is there's no such thing as undesirable or- desirable traits. It's only relative. It's relative. Compared to what exactly. you want. Exactly. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's what you want. It's yeah. all up to you. You're here to live your human experience. And depending on how you want to live it, other people will help you achieve that. So in terms of how you want to live your life, mm-hmm. um, how do you think, how involved should society or like even just your family or your parents, for example, when you're a younger person, mm-hmm. how involved should other people be in how you want to live your life? What do you think? Should it be a exclusively independent process where you can pretty much make up your mind? Or should it be the type of thing where, um, yeah, there should be external factors like society or like family that play into what you should become. So just to sort of snowball an example at you here, mm-hmm. um, for example, right now, until you're 18, essentially by law, mm-hmm. your parents pretty much have all legal reign over what you can and cannot do. Right. You know, I'm sure there's exceptions to that. I mean, they can't take you out in the field and shoot you, but you know, they can certainly take away your smartphone or they can do this or they can tell you, you know, stop fucking swearing. Yeah, sure. And stuff like that, which yeah. is someone telling you, you cannot do something. Right. Um, do you think that that's necessary? Mm. Do you think we need to have good role models that you must kind of oblige by until mm. you're ready? And when are you ever really ready? Mm. What do you think? I think that the first half of your sentence was uh, what I would agree with, that mm-hmm. we should have good role models, mm-hmm. but there should be no obligation whatsoever. Okay. You should be educated. Mm-hmm. If uh, your child is doing something that could potentially damage them, you tell them it could potentially damage them. You tell them why they shouldn't do it. You don't say you can't do it because more often than not, that's going to make them want to do it. Sure. The second you are told that you are incapable of something, you're going to want to test that theory. (laughs) That's human nature. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, there's no obligation here. It's education. If you understand that – I remember using this uh, example with my niece before. Uh, I was cooking oatmeal one day and my niece, she was only two or three years old at the time. (laughs) And she wanted to like sit on the counter and watch me do it and help me stir. You know, she wanted to help me stir my oatmeal. Mm -hmm. And my mom was like, no, get her away. You know, she's going to burn herself. And my mentality was like, well, for one, I'm watching her. And for two, I've told her to be very careful. I told her that that's a very hot thing. And if she touches it, she's going to get burned and it's really going to hurt. Mm -hmm. But I didn't say she can't do it. If she said, oh, it's going to hurt and I want to know what hurt feels like, by all means hurt yourself. But the second she touches that hot thing, her limbic system, her uh, reptilian brain is going to pull away. (laughs) Simple as that. Yeah. So that's the extent of control 
or obligation that I will put. There isn't actually any control or obligation. It's it's education always. And that's that's a good scenario you painted there because it has a relatively benign consequence, mm. right? Me burning my hand on the stove is far less serious than me dancing in front of the Metro bus because I'm five <laughs> years old playing hopscotch in the yes, street. Exactly. So, so in the sense of that, right? yeah, the parent, if the, you can't be like, <clears throat> hey, get out of the way, there's a bus coming, you should run and grab the kid and then say, hey, do you know why I grabbed you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to educate after the fact. You might have to intervene. But once you've intervened, should you not have the conversation of, next time you do that, mm-hmm. don't do that no more. I don't want to see you running in the street again. Mm, I wouldn't phrase it like that. Mm. See, I think I would. Uh, I think I would because I honestly, (laughs) even if you ran out in the street again after I specifically told you not to go out in the street, Mm -hmm. inherently you know, well, dad said, do not go in the street. Right. I am somewhere I am not supposed to be. Bad things could happen. Yes. Um, I don't know how you attain that without that boundary. Well, yeah, you would make that boundary. Like, listen, I want you to remain in this world. Do you want you to remain in this world? (laughs) And they'd be like, yeah, I don't want to die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want to die? Do you want to be hurt so bad that you'll, you'll never go a second in your life without pain again? They're going to be like, no, I don't want that. I want to feel good. Mm -hmm. Then be like, okay, now let me be serious here. Listen to me. If you dance in the street, you will be harmed. It is very likely that you will be brutally harmed. You need to understand that. And that is just as effective as saying, do not do it. Actually, I think it would be more effective because it gives them the power to govern themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to give the children because if they don't start learning that power to govern themselves, then they're going to rebel. If you make all the rules, they're going to start testing their boundaries. But if you say, you get to decide your boundaries, but I'm going to tell you about these boundaries. I'm going to say that I never go in the street because I don't want a broken leg. I don't want a broken back. I don't want to be hooked up the tubes for the rest of my life and I don't want to die. So that's why I don't do it. So I'm not ever going to go in the street ever when there's vehicles coming. I'm always going to look both ways. You educate, they understand, they will refrain from doing it. Because at the end of the day, it's fear that controls. Whether it's the fear of your dad getting mad at you or the fear of getting yep. hit by a bus, it's the fear that controls. Oh, 100%. So <clears throat> rather than being like, don't you ever do that again or dad's going to be so mad. Mm-hmm. Or you say, listen, if you do that, I'm going to be so sad because you're gone or you're going to hurt. And you're going to be sad and you're going to be upset because you're hurt or you're going to be dead. Do you want that? And they're going to say no. And then that's going to be it. So fear of consequence. Yeah. So could we agree that consequences are an unfortunate necessity in a society? Do you need consequences? I guess so. Like sometimes it's necessary to learn certain things. Yeah. Yeah. They might not understand from just it being spoken to them. And like in the case of somebody not knowing the language very well, if they had a disability and they couldn't understand English or any other language for that matter, if they didn't have a language, like if you were trying to teach a chimpanzee not to go in the street, then you would have to do it a different way than saying, listen, don't go in the street because he's not going to listen to you. He don't understand you. Yeah. You're going to have to do it a different way. You're going to have to maybe put him in the street Hit him a little bit. <laughs> Softly. A little Softly. love tap. Feel like this, right. like, you know, <laughs> like when, when, uh, when a dog does something you don't want them to do, other dogs, even in other packs, will bite them on the neck just yeah. a little bit to give them a little, a little shock to be like, ah, oh, that hurt. And then the dog will stop doing it. We, mm-hmm. For people that don't understand language and you can't explain to them with words, that's the kind of measures you have to take. Yeah. And it's not cruel to bite a dog on the neck. Like no. you look at Caesar Milan, that's how he does it. He gives him a little pinch. He goes, yeah. and that's, uh, that's, that's communication. In, exactly. That's what it is. It is communication. Yep. You know, it's nonverbal cues. It's communication and education. Yeah. Yep. So interesting. Um, just want to pivot there for a little quick second onto sure. another topic that I want your opinion on. Um, it kind of feels like I'm interviewing you. Feel free to ask me anything. But, <laughs> yeah. um, one of the most relevant things we were talking about, uh, disabilities or 
differences, whatever you want to call it. Mm. <clears throat> One of the more prevalent subjects that I've encountered time and time again that I don't seem to remember existing at least anywhere near the level um, when we were younger as mm-hmm. it is today is topic of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know what your thoughts are about just like society and anxiety and why is it so prevalent in our youth here today? What is going on? What do you think is causing, I mean, every second person I talk to has anxiety on Mm -hmm. some level today. I don't seem to remember that word Mm -hmm. ever really existing Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Anxiety was having a date on Friday, Mm. right? And trying to find a ride to the actor theater for (laughs) an 18 plus movie in year 14. That was anxiety, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it was the onset of an upcoming event. Right. That gave you anxiety yeah. or like anxiety before a test. Once the test was done, off you were, anxiety was gone. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts in terms of like, what, do you, what what's changed? Um, I think a big part of it, not the only part, but a big part <clears throat> is the way we are entertained. Okay. Um, the way we are subdued by um, our distractions, our, our smartphones and stuff like that, where you're constantly in a state of entertainment, you're constantly getting some sort of gratification. And when you are not, you want it. I agree. Right. So there's no peace. There's no downtime. There's no. Yeah. There's no void. There, there, there's no, uh, there's no emptiness. There's no anticipation anymore. Is Mm -hmm. there of anything? And another thing is the rampant in, uh, increasing of that inadequacy we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Everybody feels like they need to prove themselves these days. Uh, when we're young, it was different. Um, whereas today, you look on the internet the and like the global community that's on there, the thing to be these days is accepting and kind and understanding of other people. That's the ideal that people are pushing out there nowadays. Mm-hmm. So we all care more about what other people think about us. Whereas when we were young, we were taught if someone mouths off to you, who gives a fuck? Yes. Smack them in the face. That's right. (laughs) It was very much an action reaction approach. We were trained to take pride in ourselves and be like, I don't give a fuck about anyone. (laughs) So we we didn't brood over these ideas of, is this person going to like me? Like I'm thinking, I guess in terms of social anxiety here, I've experienced it myself. And like you said, I didn't know the word. Like I knew what anxiety meant, but, and, but I guess I would have been more uh, inclined to use the word just anxious. Like I was anxious at that party. Yes. So I'm, this is the large problem that I take the, the umbrage that I have with this whole generalized anxiety Mm -hmm. kind of pacing of, of the world. Yeah. Um, Anxiety to me is not a word that should be used lightly Mm. because I believe it's an emotional state. Mm. Um, Every time I've ever experienced anxiety in my life, it's always been a precursor to an upcoming event. Right. Always. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important. It's important to keep that definition there Mm. to some degree Uh, because otherwise we might be omitting something else that could be wrong with you. Mm. To me, if I were to feel the way that I would feel going into my grade 12 public exam, Mm-hmm. If I felt that all the time, mm. to me, I don't want to be told that that's just anxiety. Right. I would like to know what is actually wrong because right. to, that is, I don't want it to be explained away. Mm. Exactly. I would like for you to do some digging and find out, is there actually something 
chemically wrong with my brain to feel this way? Is there is an imbalance here? Mm-hmm. And if so, might it be something more severe than just plain old anxiety? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the fear that I have with anxiety because I'm seeing way too many people just carbon copies of this anxiety diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And it disturbs me. It disturbs me because people are smart mm-hmm. and people have figured out how to use it as a shield to mm-hmm. avoid things they don't like. Right. Exactly. Um, and provide you with an explanation for why they don't like it that you can't argue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't like that personally as, you know, if somebody tells me in school, uh, sir, sorry, I can't write my math test because I have anxiety. Mm. Right. I can't do a 10 multiple choice math quiz, yeah. but yet. I can go to motor vehicle and get my license. No problem. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that doesn't add up to me because one of the most stressful things in your young adult life is mm. doing your road test. Right. I almost cleaved in two. The, the night before my road test, I was that anxious. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but we figured out a way to basically dismiss things we don't want to do yeah. or that we don't like mm-hmm. and avoid it. Yeah. Um, and people have become accepting of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it because quite frankly, when we were growing up, you probably would have been given a little kick in the arse verbally and said, mm-hmm. listen now, you know, you know, leave your nerves at home. Yeah. Quite, quite frankly, <laughs> right, yeah. it needs to be done. Yeah. So go do it. Yeah, exactly. We shouldn't try to modify the system in order to soften it mm. because life is hard. Yeah. Right. I think there's been a trend towards softening people mm-hmm. in a harder and harder world. Mm. I mm-hmm. think the world is getting harder in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, statistically, People our age are having more and more of a difficult time getting to where we want to be. doesn't matter where you want to be. Just getting there seems to be more difficult now than ever for for a variety of reasons. Um, And I don't think it constructive. I don't think it's constructive at all Mm -hmm. to tell people that it's okay to just be anxious. It's okay to have this. It's okay to have that. Mm. These are things that are really not going to help you. They're going to inhibit you as you get older. And by lying to you, I don't think I'm doing you any favors. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the way you said it's being diagnosed and it's a state of being, yeah. uh, people kind of accept that as a part of them, as if it's something they can't change. And that's a defeatist that's attitude. That's the issue. Yeah. Um, because I can tell you, even though I was never diagnosed, if I had ever gone to a, uh, a doctor growing up, a psychologist or whatever, I would have been diagnosed with ADHD. Sure. Or not necessarily... ADHD because I was not hyper. I was lazy as hell, (laughs) but I could not pay attention. It Mm -hmm. was so hard for me to pay attention and now I can, but you know why? I asked that question. Why the fuck can I pay attention? (laughs) What is so hard for me? Why can't I sit down (coughs) and read a book? Why is it so hard for me? Like I would read when I was younger from grade seven to grade 12. I read one book I was required to. Bridge Terabithia. And the only reason why I did is because we did the majority of the We had that in Goose Bay? Sweet Lord. I didn't even know that. You didn't well, know that? You no, didn't read that? I didn't read that one. Oh, okay. I must have been in bonk class, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I never, never had that one. Well, you're a couple years behind me, too. <laughs> you might have changed. That was grade seven for okay, me. Okay, yes, boy. That was the first one I ever read, the only one I ever read. Yeah. Because every time I made an attempt at reading a book, I would read a paragraph and process none of it because my right. mind was somewhere else all the time. And I, in my personal case, I linked that to my need for some sort of <clears throat> gratification all the time. Like I said, I was a TV 
addict when I was young. I was either out playing with my friends, having a laugh, or I was home flicking through channels. Yep. And the time I was doing my homework, it was always a struggle for me. Up until grade six, it was easy because I absorbed everything in class and it was simple concepts and I kind of just, it came easy to me. But grade seven, it got a little bit more difficult and I went from a 98% average student in grade six to like a 75 in grade seven. And it went down and down and down until it was the fifties and sixties in grade 12 because mm -hmm. I just found it more more difficult every year because I was always something going on in my head. A lot of it was anxiety. A lot of it was depression, even though I would have never said that either. But all these things were constantly ongoing. There was always something of paramount importance to me rather than school school i never cared about school on that level because ironically i never did either yeah <laughs> quite, quite quite frankly i never did either at the time yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> it was there was a lot of factors at play in why i had add mm -hmm. and i was able to figure that out i realized it was because i required constant entertainment so i wondered why i required that. And I was like, well, I don't like being alone with my own thoughts. I'm like, well, I don't like being alone with my own thoughts. Mm. Well, I don't like myself. Why don't I like myself? I asked all these questions. I got to the root of the problem, found out a lot about myself that I was harboring shame and humi and uh, not humility. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, when you're humiliated, you know okay, what I mean? Yeah, but like, like embarrassment. Yeah. I was always fearing that I was going to be embarrassed or humiliated by my peers or picked on by my peers because I was beat up a lot by my friends when I was young. So I was right. constantly in a state of fear. So in this constant state of fear, I wanted distraction from that fear. So I turned to TV and to movies and to the computer <clears throat> and to my friends and to eating food that gave me pleasure and all these things that constantly kept my mind off it. Oh, yeah. But when I actually sat down, when I go to As bed- a recovering night, McDonald's addict, I can, <laughs> I can totally relate to that, 100%. Uh, that's awesome. So I think that was a big factor for me in my mental illness. Mm -hmm. I was mentally ill, but it's not something that's not changeable. Yeah. You can work on it and change it. You can cure these things. You can at least improve these things. Mm -hmm. So I noticed for myself that this way of thinking, this way of constantly trying to distract myself, what, what that's what was keeping me from actually paying attention to the teacher in class. I remember in grade <clears> 10, uh, I remember Miss Horn, mm -hmm. I had science class yep. with her. And I just remember, like, I always had this pressure on me because, you know, growing up, my mom loved that I was smart. You know, I was always, she was always like, oh, you're such a smart little boy. And then, yeah. in, so, like I said, up until grade six, I was a straight A student. So then when I started going downhill, she was like, what happened? You know, like, why aren't you doing better? Like, she wasn't mean about it, but she was like, I know you can do better, Michael. I know. She's like, if you had a test on the Simpsons, you would get a hundred percent. Oh, hundred percent. Right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's right. Because I enjoy it. And you know? because you were intrinsically motivated. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, a, a big part of everything really in, mm -hmm. in terms of interest is to be intrinsically motivated. Um, coming back to just in terms of how you dealt with your own inadequacies. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to do what you did. Mm. And that's part of my belief on how to combat this anxiety overload that's going on. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to ask these questions. Why do I feel the way I do? Of course. Even if no one else can answer them for you. Mm -hmm. I think more that's, often than not, no one can. <clears throat> more often than not, they can't, for sure. And I think it's important for you to ask yourself those questions mm -hmm. or at least be pointed in that direction of self-discovery yeah. by someone who's educated in the field. Yes. As opposed to just being given a prescription exactly. slip. Mm -hmm. Because that happens on a daily basis. It is unbelievable how many children are medicated today. It's I read a recent that. survey that said one in three. That's crazy. I mean, that's- I knew one kid in grade nine- 
who had ADD medication. I don't know if there was more. There was one. But I that, knew of yeah, one. Yeah, there was, was one. Out of that the nine people in my well. class, yeah. there was one. And let's even assume that there was 10. Mm-hmm. Still, like, it's nowhere near. one in one in nine, yeah, right? It's exactly. nowhere near that. Yeah. Um, is that because we're trying to help people, or is that because there's a problem, we don't know what to do with it, shut them up? Well, I because think if both. that Because if that's the response, mm-hmm. that's a sad reflection yeah. on us as a society. Just, here you go, yeah. eat that, shut I think up, it's our right? generation not knowing how to deal with these situations, and so therefore they don't know how to deal with it with their children. And the society around them says, well, maybe they need to be medicated. And they're like, oh, maybe they don't. Maybe they do. They don't understand this level of understanding themselves. Yeah. So that's what they turn to. Like they un- – everyone believes that that whole diagnosis of uh, anxiety or depression are just normal things. Yeah. They're normal in the sense that they're common. Yeah. But they're not our natural state. When we are – It's like having a cold. Yeah. It's common to have the common cold. Exactly, yeah. But it is not normal to be sick. No, exactly. Right? Yeah. And they're, you know, even if there's not a remedy for the common cold, you should be able to acknowledge that, oh, I'm not at my best right now. Exactly, yeah. Um, I should probably try to take some steps to getting back to a level of normalcy. Mm-hmm. But people right. take it on, like, those types of things as a part of their personality. They yes. say, just, that's just who I am. I'm an yep. anxious person. Yep. I have anxiety. I was diagnosed. That's who I am. There's no change in it. And like you said, it's a defeatist attitude. Mm-hmm. And when you give up like that, you're not going to search for the answer. And you are going to continue to take that medication. But the downfall of that medication is that it it numbs your feelings. And it's not only numbing the bad ones. It's numbing the good ones too. So then you don't feel joy and you don't take joy in life anymore. So then you end up on a medication for depression. And then that one has its side effects. And then you end up on another medication. Every medication you have is going to have side effects that is going to prompt you to seek out another medication for those side effects. And it's a vicious cycle. And I've seen it firsthand. I mean, I won't name any names, but there's an individual I can think of that I've known for years Mm -hmm. who has, I don't know if he's medicated or not, but he's fundamentally changed in terms of what this guy once was, Mm -hmm. personality-wise, activity-wise, versus who he is now as an individual. Mm -hmm. Almost all of his personality has been erased and replaced with this I don't know, classic signs and symptoms thereof of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. It's become all encompassing. Mm-hmm. And it's sad mm-hmm. because I'm seeing that more and more and more, just carbon printouts of yeah. anxious people. Yeah. And I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to feel about it. Sometimes I feel as though maybe I'm being overtly judgmental mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just dismissive. Yeah. I've been accused of that a few sure. times. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I'm reluctant to accept Anything really. I'm, I'm reluctant <laughs> yeah. to accept anything in general until I kind of have a solid understanding of yeah. like, okay, you need to almost prove to me why that's okay to be like that. Right, exactly. You should understand why anything is. And I don't it think is. it's too much to ask really for you to kind of try to convince me. Yeah, exactly. If, 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 should you just expect for me to be s- accepting and supportive of it? Mm-hmm. If I don't take any attempt to understand it yeah. what, whatsoever, if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to get that from me. Yeah, I can tell exactly. you that right now. You kind of have to prove your point. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these people just can't do it. And mm-hmm. it's discouraging. I wish someone could lay it out for me because this has been one that's been bothering me for yeah. years now. It bothers many people, man. Year, years now because uh, I've seen people in my own life affected by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't tell anymore who's justified in feeling that way right. because of this overcompensation of just branding everyone this mm-hmm. i can't tell who's legit who to take seriously mm-hmm. who to handle with kid gloves who to kind of you know just sort of 
don't pay any attention right. to them because they're just full of shit. Yeah. I can't tell anymore. The lines have been blurred. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that was one that I kind of wanted to have a little. Even like, like you said, there's certain people that you're not sure who to take seriously and whatnot. I, I, I would say that you should take everyone seriously, but not in the sense that you said that you should just uh, be accepting of what they say and don't question it. Questions, and should we try to fix it? Of course. And Well, see this, and this is the big thing. Mm. If you convince yourself that this is who I am, mm-hmm. you may not be willing to change. Yeah. And if you're not willing to change, am I supposed to accept that that's a good way for you to be? And, and you know, who am I to really, my opinion shouldn't change who you are. Mm-hmm. However, if it's having a negative impact on your life and it's obvious to everyone but you, mm-hmm. at some points I would appreciate for someone to step in and tell me, Josh, by, you know, you haven't been right for months. Right. Um, you're, you're not the same guy you used to be. Yeah. I don't think you're happy. You're, you know, what can I do to help you? Yeah. Is there something going on? Man? And if my response to you is just, well, that's who I am and yeah. don't judge me, mm-hmm. are we at an impasse? Well, it all comes <clears> back <throat> to like how they affect other people, really. If they want to go and sit in the dark and, and deal with their thing the way they do and they just want to call themselves that. But if they're like lashing other people, if they're harming people, then there's, we need some intervention. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone is doing something that is harming someone else and their excuse for it is their depression or their anxiety, then yes, you need some sort of intervention. But if they are content being the way they are and they are not doing anything else to harm anybody else, then by all means, let them free to be, if they want to be depressed, they can be depressed. But you can always say, hey, I know some things about depression. Would you like to talk about it? Because I know there's a way you can get out of it. Even if you don't believe me, even if you're offended by that idea that you yep. can't get out of it, <clears throat> I'm still going to say the truth. Yeah. I'm saying right now that there is a way you can elevate yourself from your depression. Mm-hmm. There's a way you can elevate yourself from your anxiety. There are methods of going about this. Now, I'm not saying it'll go com- away completely because, for an example, it's not a thing that you eradicate and it's gone from your brain. It's a pattern that you either nurture or starve, essentially. Now You have to recognize the cycle first. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, it's like being an addict, for example. Exactly. In terms of like, I w- <laughs> this is such a silly thing to say, but I would definitely consider myself to be a fast food addict. Sure. Man, it's an addictive substance. In in the sense of, I have, you know, I worked really hard to lose a lot of weight a Mm -hmm. number of years ago. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I had to first recognize, man, there is a weird connection between how I feel and what I eat. And Mm -hmm. it's not a good one. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, When you start using substances like food or whatever, food or crack, I don't know, (laughs) to make you feel good. Yeah. That's an addiction. Yeah. hundred percent, man. And you need to recognize that and try to fix it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Anything can be an addiction. I was addicted to TV. Yeah. I seriously was. I couldn't, I literally, from the moment I was, I'm going to say seven or eight, when I got a TV in my room, I never went to sleep without a TV from seven or eight to about 23 or 24 years old. Wow. I've, I went, I turned on TV every night to go to sleep. I couldn't go to bed with silence. I couldn't deal with my own mind. It's just too scary for me. So I always did that. And to get back to what I was saying earlier, the way it's just a pattern mm-hmm. and you can, if you keep giving energy to this pattern, this cycle, it will, con- it's just like you're spinning a wheel. And if you keep hitting it with your hand, it will keep going. But if you take your hand away, it might feel uncomfortable to not do it because you've been doing it for so long, but it's necessary for your let to let that kind of, to let the momentum of it kind of slow down. So I'll give you an example, like the way I was talking about my ADD. I, I don't have ADD. I experience ADD sometimes yeah. because right now, uh, for an example, like when I 
like I have a daily practice, so to speak. I, I keep myself happy by a daily practice. And when I do this for so long, I get to a state of being where I'm in constant joy. Like I'm just always feeling at peace, always feeling in love with myself and the world is always a good place. But the downfall of that is that I enjoy all aspects of life way more intensely. So I'll give you an example. Like I'll go a couple days where I'm like, I'm really strict on myself. I make sure I eat well. I make sure I exercise. I make sure I meditate. I make sure I read. I make sure I do all these things. And then a couple of days of that, I'm like, oh man, I don't need anything. I, I'm so, I'm so at peace right now. But then say if I'm around someone or if I'm just on my phone and I see something, I see a video that interests me, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'll watch it. And it'll be the most entertaining thing I've ever experienced because I'm like, everything is elevated. Every sensory pleasure is way more. I'm like, oh my God, that was the funniest thing I ever seen. <laughs> yeah, give me yeah. more, give me more, yeah. give me more. And I get in this pattern of watching video after video and I'll spend like, an hour or two on my phone, just watching YouTube videos of things I find funny or interesting. And then I'll do it day after day. I'll spend one or two hours every single day on my phone. But then after a week of this, I try to read a book. Can't do it. Mm. So I'm like, I'm trying to read now. I have no interest in reading. All I want to do is look at my phone. Right. I don't want to read. I want to look at my phone. But when I take some time away, I get back into that mode of the practice. I feel way better. But so- it's an ongoing cycle. And every time I kind of realize this, I get better and better at staying away from the things that bring me back into it. I can recognize it earlier. I'll be on my phone for a half hour and be like, oh, I'm starting to feel that want again. I'm Break starting to cycle. notice myself like, oh, I want the next video. And if I'm like, uh, say if I'm like out in public or something like that, or I'm somewhere where there's not a great internet connection and it's it's loading, the second that little spinny wheel comes up, I feel anxiety. I'm like, I want it. Give it back to me. Give me it again. I want it again. And then the second I recognize that anxious feeling in me, I'm like, holy shit, I got to step away from this. So you recognize, but you recognize the pattern in the cycle. Exactly. So that's how I stay on top of this. It's like, I still allow myself to watch YouTube videos. I still allow myself to get into something that could potentially bring me back into that cycle. But the fundamental truth that I realized seven years ago was that I feel at my best when I don't need anything, when I'm just being whether it's with people or not, I could, I got to a point seven years ago where I could sit on my bed or lie on my bed, have no stimulation whatsoever, go in complete darkness, go into my own mind and be absolutely enthralled by the stuff that was in there. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. It was like going into an amusement park in my own mind. I don't know if that's admirable or terrifying to me. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) But then it got to a point where like, then I didn't even need to entertain myself with my own thoughts. I would go into nothingness. And that's like what they... Uh, profess in like a lot of spiritual faiths, like especially like Buddhism and Hinduism is getting to the point where you are just, you don't need anything. You are at one with the universe and that's enough for you. And I've felt that connection and buddy, that's the best thing I've ever A buddy of mine known. from the commissioners, because I worked with commissioners years ago in Goose Bay. Mm. Um, he used to refer to what you're talking about as the nothing box. Okay. The ability to <laughs> slip into the mental abyss mm. where you can... Now, he used to use this solely for the passage of time, right? Okay. Because if you're working a 12-hour night shift on yeah. base in mm-hmm. Goose Bay, you can't go in the nothing box. It's going to be a very long 12 <laughs> hours. You better have 12 hours worth of movies to watch, Exactly, right? yeah. Um, but he used to slip into the abyss, abyss on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and I could never understand it. I could right. I used to say to him, I, was, oh, I don't mind name dropping him, but you say, BJ, I don't know how you go into that mindset. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, it scares me that that four hours can escape you yeah. with the snap of a finger, right? Yeah. Like you literally glance up at the clock and it's four hours later. I find that terrifying personally myself. Yeah. And I could never understand it. 
uh-huh. until it happened to me once. Okay. Um, I remember I was like second year I was in university and I was standing in the book line, such a stupid example, but I was standing in the book line at the university on like the first or second day of university down where you buy the books. And I mean, for anyone who's ever gone, it takes hours to get out of there, like hours and hours and hours. You could be standing in line for like two or three hours with your books. Right. And I can remember being at the back of the line and just kind of staring up at the ceiling tiles, mm-hmm. went in the nothing box. Next thing you know, I was at the register. Right up. So it's, <laughs> so it's it was an important like skill to yeah. have developed. Yeah. But I also came to realize that like, you know what? Sometimes I do not need to be entertained. Mm. Sometimes I have the ability to just kind of slip through time, mm-hmm. right? Kind of warp my way through time. Yeah. And that was scary, but kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A little bit of both. Um, but yeah, it was definitely one more memorable thing. So I do kind of get what you're saying in terms of self-entertainment uh, is not always necessary. Oh my God, no. It's, it's not always necessary. Um, but to expect people to recognize that a lot of people don't know a lot of stuff a lot of people never stop to think of these things in fact many times i'm sure there's i've had conversations with people like this before you might be one out of a hundred that don't think i'm absolutely cracked when i start going down this road (laughs) right but usually i like to talk about these types of things just to know that my i'm 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 thinking in a logical fashion. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not, I want someone to tell me, no, that doesn't make sense right. what you're doing. Right. I think maybe you should consider this. Yeah. I think that's important. Oh, most and, definitely. And, and I'm always kind of open to this type of criticism. But I've thought about self-entertainment before, like getting mm-hmm. back to your point. Um, and I've wondered secretly to myself, do I need to be entertained at all? Mm-hmm. Or do I just need to be entertained when there's nothing, no external stimuli to entertain me? Mm-hmm. And if so, why? Mm-hmm. Why do I even care what's going on around me in mm-hmm. general? Why can't I just be me mm-hmm. and do nothing and mm-hmm. relax? Yeah. Because I can only, as an individual, I can only be by myself with nothing. Like I've all, I've done those weekends just like sitting in the house with no one around, not a soul. Just, you know, the are you watching from Netflix comes up like 12 <laughs> times, right? The yeah. dog is looking at me like I'm cracked. Yeah. Um, I've been there several times. Yeah. Loads of times, especially in the past, like especially back in Goose Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, just almost borderline depression in a way, just sort of slipping into your own little world. Yeah. I can only do it for maybe at the most two or three days. Yeah. Okay. After that, I feel the longing to do something. I different. need something. Yeah. Whether that's just to break the cycle yeah. of sitting home and being borderline depressed, mm-hmm. um, whether that means going through Tim Hortons drive through whether that means, I don't know, doing a loop around the base. Right. Whether that means walking the dog, yeah. whatever, just something, something to get different. in the house. But have you ever found when you get in that mindset, mm-hmm. it's hard to, to motivate yourself. And it's almost like the longer you stay in that mindset, the harder it is to motivate yourself. Mm-hmm. That's something I struggled with loads of times in the past. Still do sometimes. Right. Um, once I'm not doing something for a while. Mm-hmm. I may not want to go back and do it. Here's a really stupid example of this. Right now, I can't go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Going to the gym is like an everyday activity for me. I love to do it. Have, I have a routine that I like to do. Mm-hmm. I'm scared now that where I can't go to the gym, mm-hmm. trying to exercise best I can on mm-hmm. my own, but I'm afraid that when going to the gym becomes an accessible thing again, mm-hmm. that I'm not going to want to go. Right. And I can't explain why my brain works that way. Yeah. And, would, and, well, and, and that bothers me. Yeah. 
that bothers me because I'd love to just be, you know, kind of self-aware enough to just go, no. So if the gym opens on June 1st, arbitrarily, we'll say June 1st, you're going, that's it. Right. But I can't guarantee that to myself. Yeah. And it bothers me that I can't do that. Yeah. And the longer that this goes on, the greater the chance that I won't go back. Right. And I don't like that. That's the way I work. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. Now what that is, don't know. (laughs) I'm, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Uh, we'll call it character flaw. Sure. For lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of this flaw that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> open to open to advice. Yeah. Um, and I think there are a lot of people that are in that boat. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know what's wrong with them in general. They might yeah. not even be able to get as far as that in mm-hmm. terms of just figuring out, yeah, I got this deficiency in this area. Yep. They don't even recognize that. Yeah. So if you don't recognize that, how you ever hope to rectify it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But- even just rectifying it once you're aware of it, I don't know how to do that either. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that just that <clears throat> in that particular situation that just requires a level of discipline. You know, sure. you got to be your own dad in a sense. Yeah, basically. You know, basically listen, yeah. Josh, you're going to the friggin' gym, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, stir your stumps and get out the door. Right. <laughs> yeah. True. Exactly. And like for me, I, I've you know I've had that experience as well. Like when I've taken some time off from the gym mm-hmm. or from exercising in general, it's hard to get back into it. And since I've been off and on exercising for the past, give or take 10 years now, every time I'm on that off time, I get better and better at going back because I understand the kinds of things that are keeping me from doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's because I get so attached to the laziness again, because it feels good to do nothing. It does. It, does, it really it? does. It's simple as that. You get addicted to just yeah. dropping onto the couch and be like, oh yeah. I mean, never before in the history of the world have we been able to save the world by staying home and doing nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And here's our chance. So. This is our chance, man. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. We've trained our whole lives for this moment. I know. Man. We're already willing and able. Yeah, exactly. But I found that after those few times that I, I lacked the motivation to get back. I knew at my core that I feel better when I exercise. It's just, it was something that, you know, I went, let's say 21 years without exercising, like really actually exercising. Yep. I played hockey for nine years, but nice. I would get on the ice for 30 seconds, get beat out and get off. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. I never really pushed myself very hard. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I don't know that there were some points where i really went hard, but I don't know, like, uh, it got to a point where I was like 20 odd, um, early twenties where I just, like I said, I started to feel the depression. Like it became palpable. Whereas before I didn't let myself feel it. Cause I was constantly distracted. Like just to give you a little bit of history. Uh, I don't know what you know of this, but you knew I was in bands and stuff sure, like that. Oh, 100%. Well, when I was. Articuno, right? Exactly. Yeah, I remember. Well, when we formed that band that like well, honestly, finding drumming was like my savior in a big right. way because my whole life I wasn't good at things. My friends were always better at me than things. I was always either second best or the worst, you know, like I was never, never the best at something. And I had very low confidence because of this. But when I became a drummer, I was surprised to find that I actually got good at it and people around me were complimenting me. So I found my thing, you know, so I got hooked on that. It felt good to be good at something. So being in the bands and then in high school, my friend group grew and we were always around each other. We're always, we're all the same. We all had the same humor. We really had great chemistry. I was constantly stimulated with the most beautiful things. 
And then after high school, it got a little bit worse because I missed my huge friend group. Like there was, I think, 13 or 14 girls in our friend group that we hung out with every single weekend. We were a big family. And there was like seven or eight dudes that were always there. We always had this family, this community. It felt so good to have. So then when I graduated and everybody moved away, that was a big, you know, that was a big hit to me. But I still adapted. I was like, I'm still good. You know, I'm still happy. I'm still, I still have my band. That was a big thing because I love my band. Mm-hmm. I love the attention we got. I love playing shows. this was home shows. or this was out here? It started in home, you know, okay, like because okay. uh, I spent one year after high school in Goose Bay. I went to Kona. Okay, right. And right, we right. still played shows. And we had shows and we'd have people come out and the legion and stuff like that and people will go nuts and then afterwards we'd have an after party it was like we're fucking rock stars we're small town rock (laughs) stars it felt amazing so then when we came out here we're like so we want to do this for a living like we're all so passionate about our music we loved our music and we wanted to tour the world so we spent basically all of our time doing it Uh, but living together you know it put a lot of tension between us a lot of fights over dishes and who cleans the, the house and stuff like that and a lot of things changed in those two years we lived together. So the band kind of just, it didn't like, it wasn't a sudden thing. There wasn't like a big fight or anything, but we all kind of drifted apart from each other. We all had these, it wasn't, we weren't as close as we used to because we were surrounded by each other all day, every day. Whereas before it was kind of like in high school, we get to see each other once a night or once every uh, three or four times a week. We had that absence. It was a relief, right? It was like, yeah, I get to go see my friends. Hell yeah. But since we were there day, every, with each other every day, all day, we got to see the sides of each other that we didn't like, for one. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there was tension. And then eventually the band just kind of fizzled out, you know? And uh, Ben ended up going home to Goose Bay, and I was like mortified. I was like, what? You're leaving? What are you talking to? He was like, well, the band's not really doing anything. We haven't played a show in forever. Yep. And we're not working at it. Like, what do you expect? And I was like, I don't know. I just thought we were always going to do this. Right. You know, yeah. like, how can you take this away from me? Please don't do it. <laughs> I was terrified, man. And then, but he was like, maybe he's like, I'm only going home for a bit. I just got to do my own thing. And he's like, but I want to learn more about recording and stuff. He was doing his own thing. He was following his passion. Right. And I was just like, okay. But he's like, maybe I'll come back later and we'll continue. But he's like, if you guys want to get another singer, that's fine. I was like, no, we can't have another singer. You got to be the singer. So it broke me, man. And then, so I was still in this mindset that we were going to get back together. Two or three months later, uh, Dane was the same way. Damien's like, I'm going home to Goose Bay too. We're not doing shit all. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, no, Ben's just about to come back. Didn't you realize? <laughs> I was losing my mind here. Right. right. And then, uh, but anyways, Dame left. And then after that, I had nothing. Like to me, my band was my life. I didn't, I didn't embark on uh, romantic relationships. That wasn't my thing. So my band was my girlfriend. Right. And then when that was taken away from me, I was just like, what am I doing? And I like, I just went deep into depression. I wouldn't have, like I said, I wouldn't have called it that then, but I was drinking more. Uh, Paul, I would have always considered my best friend. We were like passing each other in the hallways in our own house and not even acknowledging each other sometimes. It wasn't like we were mad at each other. It's just that we just didn't have that joy of our friendship anymore. And it was hard, like, because we were inseparable. Mm-hmm. So I got to a point where I was just like, I'm going to go home to Goose too. Because I still had some friends in Goose that I still talked to all the time that right. I felt like a turn to. So I went home and it was still dark, you know, like, <laughs> it was still bad. And then- the and, Darkness descended upon me. Oh yeah, yeah, big time, man. <laughs> so eventually, uh, after about, I think it was like 10 or 11 months, I got sick of Goose Bay again. I was like, and then a couple of the boys were like, they were missing it too. Like Ben had gone back to St. John's before, like maybe a couple months before me. And Dame and I were both working <clears throat> at the music shop in Goose Bay. Oh, that was the one that was down where the- Downtown. Uh, downtown video used to be. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. So we decided, you know, 
we both wanted to go back out too. And then all the guys were like, well, actually, uh, one thing I'll mention as well is that when Paul and I separated, and <laughs> we are married, by the way. Right. Uh, when we separated and I went back to Goose Bay, he yeah. missed me and I missed him. And I guess that absence made us really realize the value of our friendship. And he was like, started calling me and he's like, Mike, I want you to call me every single night. It's like, <laughs> I'm your wife and you're going to call me. So it got so much better then because I was like, our friendship started to grow again. And that's what mattered most to me was the bond I had with those three dudes. They were my brothers, you know, and to have that tension between us or just the distance between us was really hard on me. So I went back and then after a while, we decided that we were going to go back to St. John's. And then we were like, well, might as well get the band back on the go. And I was like, oh yeah, here we go. And I was so pumped. Yeah. So we got the band back on the go for a little bit, but then it eventually kind of fizzled out again, but it wasn't as bad this time. I was right. okay with it because I already got used to the idea. And then we were doing other things as well. But damn, I don't even remember why I started this whole train of No, it's interesting. Story. This is fascinating. This I, is- I don't know what the point I was trying to make, <clears throat> but eventually I just got to a point um, I think this was under the umbrella of depression yeah. and, and recognizing your your own, like, problem that, mm-hmm. that you have, or not you, but just to say, like, recognizing when, like, there's something wrong. I don't know what's causing yeah. this. I don't know what to do with it. Right. And maybe someone needs to help me. Maybe yeah. someone needs to tell me that something's not right. Right. Okay, right. so I realized after that I didn't have the band anymore to constantly have something to do and, you know, have all my friends. Like, we lived in a house together as uh, five of us dudes living in a house together. And then at one point there was 10 of us living in a house together. Boy, and over the two year period I was there, yeah. we were partying all the time. We had incredible parties where like 200 people would show up and it was just living the life, you know? So when that was taken away, I went deep, dark into depression. And then I started to realize what it truly was. And I was like, why can't I just be happy with just me? Why can't I just have, why do I have to have the recognition? Why do I need to play shows and have that joy and stuff like that? Why, what is lacking in me? And then, so that's when I started asking those questions. And it was around that time that I was like, well, I've always neglected relationships. Mm -hmm. I realized, because ever since I was young, ever since I was in high school, ever since some of my buddies got like full-time girlfriends and started like taking less time with the guys, I was like, I was like vindictive. I was like, I'll never be that guy. I will never ditch my friends for a girl. So I basically made a vow to not have a girlfriend, essentially. Okay. So, and then when I was 22 or 23, I was like, well, I tried everything else. Maybe love. Always want to try women. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I mean, as someone who got more X's and O's, I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine just striking off women. All oh yeah. Well, I didn't strike them off. I just, <clears throat> I just never commit to any of them. I had. Right. Uh, relationships, quote, over the years, but every single girl I got on the go with, I would tell them right from the start, I don't do boyfriend and girlfriends. I don't do labels. I don't believe in it. I believe we should just be friends in a sense that you are never going to be of higher value to me than my friends, or you're going to be on the same level all the time. I love you all, but I'm never going to make you a priority. That's the thing. That's the way Mm. I kind of was. Every girl's favorite thing to hear, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Romeo over here. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you know, some of them liked me that much that they would be like, okay, I agree. But they never did. In the beginning. In the beginning. Right. But then after a while, they would just be like, you know, I want more. And I'm like, "Eh, that's understandable. (laughs) Like I get where you're coming from. So I never had anything serious, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when I was about 23 or something like that, um, I met a girl who I was attracted to. And I, I honestly, straight up like I went after her for the wrong reasons I was superficial as hell she was just really attractive and I wanted her for that reason 
And she made me feel good. She made me feel like I was on top of the world. She made me feel like I was cool and funny yep. and all that. So I went into this relationship and even then I told her, I was like, I don't do labels. We can spend a lot of time with each other, but like, I'm still going to spend a lot of time with my friends as well. You got to understand that my friends are really valuable to me. So she was cool with it at first, but then after a while, like after about like three or four or five, six months of being together, like that was the longest I ever had. You know what I mean? <laughs> three months in grade nine was the longest up until I was like 24. Right. And that was probably devastating in grade nine. So much shit happened in yeah. grade nine. Actually, no, there was a relationship in grade 12, like I said, that was just friends with benefits, essentially. And we actually had a pretty good thing. Well, from my point of view. <laughs> and sometimes from hers as well. Yeah. But, you know, it just got to the point <clears throat> where she wanted more that I wasn't giving her. I wasn't emotionally available at that point. I was always trying to be tough, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't open up about anything. I was never, never the kind of person to be in a romantic relationship because of that. So there wasn't much of a mutual understanding in general. No, even though there might have seemed to me and... At some points, she would agree to it as well. There were times where she wanted more and I wasn't able to give it to her. So it just was never good for either of us. And so that when I met that girl and when I was like 23, I told her all that. I was like, I'm not in relationships, but you know, I'll still love you, but it's just not going to be any different from anybody else's love. And uh, after a few months, she just, we'd go to parties together. We started doing couple type things. And I was uncomfortable with that at first. I was like, I don't do these things, you know? And a big part of it, I realized, was because I didn't want my friends to make fun of me. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I made fun of them for doing couple type things, right. you know? Anyways, so we'd go to parties and she'd be like, this is my boyfriend, Mike. And I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> like, no, I'm not your boyfriend. And, but then eventually I just gave in essentially. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'll embrace it, man. And then about a year into our relationship, we always... Like, we weren't ever fighting in the sense that we were, like, yelling at each other or anything like that, but there was always disagreement. She was always sad, and I was just like, what is going on? Like, what do you want? Like, what do you want from me? What do you want me to be? And then she eventually got to a point where she's just like, I, I came to a point where I was like, I'm still unhappy, and I had this, I actually had one night where I had the flu, and my remedy to that was buy a six-pack of beer, cough syrup, and smoke a bomb. And well, I did that. You know, Doctor's orders, right? <laughs> Basically is what I hear there. <laughs> like you would. <laughs> and I had heard when I was younger, yeah. uh, my some of my friends were experimenting with cough syrup. Okay. And I was like, Interesting. I'm going to drink a little bit more than required. Just mm -hmm. see what happens. And I did. And I was up all night, but I felt so relaxed and so intuitive, like I, I had such a level of clarity I hadn't seen in years. And I was like, what is wrong with my life? Like, what is going on with me? Why do I feel this way? So I kind of analyzed it. So you had it. an epiphany. Oh, yeah, big time. A and medically like, induced epiphany. A medically induced epiphany, yeah. Okay. And I just basically came to the conclusion that everything in my life was pretty much the way I wanted. Like I wasn't in the career I wanted or anything like that, but I had wonderful friends. I had a lot of stuff that was really growing well for me. But my relationship was bunk. And I was just like, all right, well, why not give it your all? Like, you never tried that before. Give it your all. Like, you want to make her happy? Do what makes her happy. So then I spent, like, the next few months trying to be what I thought the best boyfriend could be. And I put my all into it the best that I could. But the more I did that, the more I felt like I was distancing myself from my true self. Mm -hmm. I started feeling like I had to put on a face and put on a mask and do things for her that made her happy that weren't me. And then I just had this split. Like I, at this point in my life, if I had gone to a psychologist, I probably would have been diagnosed with schizophrenia because I had this other 
two-tone person. Oh, it was crazy how much split there was. And, and there was scary. more than that's, two that's, as well. And that's scary. Oh my God, right? it was terrifying. I, I, I think you're rightfully uh, alarmed there. Like yeah. I, I would have been as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I found when I, um, personally myself, one of the things that I found was really important to understand about the way I think about things in general um, was understanding envy mm-hmm. and understanding where it comes from okay, and how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Because envy, unfortunately, is a huge part of almost everyone's lives, whether oh, they yeah. recognize it or not. Right. Um, you know, even going just back to, oh, you're in grade four and I have a fucking bologna sandwich here mm-hmm. with a little bit with the welfare mustard on it from co-op <laughs> and you have a, a, a Lunchable with the Kit Kat bar. <laughs> yeah. Why the fuck did mother pack me this? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so even if you're just... <laughs> so so to, uh, yeah. to, to put envy in the most basic form, right away, recognizing that as a negative emotion mm-hmm. and, a, and a non-productive way to think mm. is something that was really important from early onset. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize how important that was until I got older and I started working in air traffic actually mm-hmm. in Goose Bay. And I was there for three years and I watched people progress where I wanted to get to. In fact, leapfrog me to get where I wanted to be. Right. And in my mind, they were undeserving of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not they were, is far for me to judge. Yeah. But it's hard when you, when, when you, when you start getting in that envious mindset, mm-hmm. you start calculating, well, this is what I have. Yeah. Education-wise, personality-wise, right. work background-wise, blah, 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 A through X for qualifications. Mm-hmm. And this is what this person has. Yeah. So why the fuck are they there and I'm down here? Yeah. And right away, that creates and leads to resentment. Right. Almost definitely, yeah. Um. And it wasn't until I got out of that situation, because ultimately it drove me to just give up on that career altogether. It was a terrible thing, because for a while, that's what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But it just, quite frankly, it beat me. Yeah. It did. Uh, Every time I ever saw an open door, all I had to do was look at it and it would close. Yeah. You know, it'd be a great skill to have now for COVID-19. You'd never have to touch a doorknob because all I got to do is look at an open door and it closes. Right. But that's what it truly felt like. And that was so defeating. Yeah, man. And, um, I was very envious of a lot of pretty good people for the most part Mm -hmm. that were there at the time, just because I couldn't get where they had gotten. And I wasn't taking into consideration what circumstances got them where they were too. Right. Um, I was just filled with envy and yeah. it made me a resentful person. Yeah. I was like a, I was a resentful person for like two years. Mm-hmm. And what I hated about that was going to that workplace every day and putting on the rubber smiley mask. Mm, yeah, exactly. Of, oh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. When in the meanwhile, I'm fucking savage yep. sitting here every day, stewing in this environment. And it wasn't until it finally got to the point where, well, actually, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I came out here to get my laser eye surgery, to tell you the truth. Okay. Um, and I was supposed to be off for a month. Right. It was all pre-approved um, that I was able to come and get the surgery. And where I had a medical air traffic license, I could not work. Mm-hmm. So they put you off for a month. For whatever reason, when I decided, now someone else had done this two or three months prior, so I'd I've observed the process. Okay. So-and-so got his eyes done on February the 1st. He was off until March the 1st. 
good. What a great opportunity for me to a get away from Goose Bay for a bit and clear mm-hmm. my head. Yep. Um, and b get my eyes fixed in the meanwhile. You know, it's a win-win overall. This mm-hmm. is going to be a good time. It's the break that I need. Yeah. So I pulled the trigger on that and I went and got my eyes done. Several days later, I get this vicious response from Circo and Goose Bay, mm. just in terms of like, you need to return to work immediately. You have not been excused from work. We have other things that you can be doing, blah, 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 blah. Um, and through the jigs and the reels, I mean, I won't get into the long, arduous process of it, but I was medically in the right to be off yeah. you know, the time that and I And you had. say you had the approval as well? Oh yeah, I had yeah. the approval, but at this point it didn't even matter from them. I had medical like, uh, excusal from work Okay. by this point in terms mm-hmm. of like, no, Josh cannot return to work mm-hmm. until this date. Right. And they just chose to ignore this, which is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, uh, things are only illegal if you challenge them. So I had two big realizations of this whole process. Yeah. One of which was, this is a terrible place to be. Mm. And I am hurting myself invariably by staying here. Yeah. That was uh, belief number one. Mm-hmm. Um, or realization number one. Realization number two was people will push the boundary mm. to force you to do things without realizing what they're doing. And as long as you let them do that, mm-hmm. there's nothing really wrong with it. Right. If I say jump and all you respond with is how high, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter where whether I had a right to tell you to jump exactly, or not. Exactly, yeah. You're conforming. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was my second realization. And through that process... I sort of made a decision that, you know what, this all comes back to me being envious and this all comes back to me being miserable Mm. and I need to look after myself and I need to exit from this scenario, whatever it takes, whatever the financial cost is, whatever the, you know, the dire consequences of this is because I cannot survive. Yeah. Right. And I pulled the trigger and it was the best decision. I mean, we're going on three years here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in a whole different career altogether. Yeah. It's like a totally different paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. I would never be where I am today had I not initially made that decision by recognizing envy for what it was and resentment for what it was, because that's where it all stemmed from. Had I not been envious and resentful, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have forced myself to go ahead with the eye surgery to get that necessary break away from there because right. it wouldn't have been necessary. I would have been content and happy yeah, with doing exactly. what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, now that's a double edged sword because on one hand, the envy led me to ultimately get where I am today because if I was, you know, ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. I would probably still be there. Yeah. Typing exactly. in the airlines and watching provincial airlines yeah. land for the 4,000th time today from yeah. St. Anthony. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was an interesting realization for me mm-hmm. because I, I recognized something about myself that I never knew before. Yeah, exactly. Which was self-awareness of tendencies to have re- not only be envious, but to be resentful yeah. over stuff. Yeah. And if you ever feel now, when I feel that coming on, and I think everybody does to a mm-hmm. certain degree oh, yeah. at some point, you got to be able to self-manage yeah. and step back from it and go, okay, why is it relevant to me? Mm. And almost always is not. Mm-hmm. Almost, almost always is really not. Or you can talk yourself to a point where no matter what I think you have over me, it doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And it has to do with what you talked about earlier of your own personal deficiencies and inadequacies. Mm-hmm. 
That's what fuels all of that stuff. Oh, yeah, big time, man. Right. All of my decisions back then were fueled by my inadequacies. Mm-hmm. Whether I'd seen it then or not, it was basically that's the way it was, you know. Mm-hmm. I was always trying to be something. I was always trying to get some sort of, well, understanding, love, recognition, acceptance, whatever you want to call it. Everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to feel as if they're good enough. Yep. And that's what drives us, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a weird world (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's and when we aren't given that and this kind of brings me back to something i was thinking about earlier a way of describing the situation we're in with the the anxiety uh, over diagnosis and depression and stuff like that um it's a reflection of a sick world that's the way i see it ultimately we are not operating in the way we should we're not giving we're not given what we truly need and i'm not just talking about like the like like the food and and the shelter and the clothing that i'm talking about i'm talking about like a a sense of fulfillment a sense of purpose a sense of belonging a sense of acceptance we're not given that we're given this whole competitive narrative that in order to be of any worth you have to be better than someone else and you have to dismiss other people and think of them as less in order to feel good about yourself. It's all about this totem pole type of mentality. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I got a question for you too. Uh, it's not really uh, as deep as we are here, but I'm just curious about the way it's you okay say to it. come to the shallow end. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to have to tone it down at some point. Cause I feel like we could go for days. <laughs> this is the first time we're going deep. We could probably talk for six hours, honestly. <laughs> True. So, but I was curious cause I had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. We were talking about envy and jealousy and okay. the way we seen the two and the way I understood it. Uh, and I basically got this from a book I was reading, actually a book I was listening to, um, because I never really considered it up until then, but one can be a healthy thing, a healthy emotion. The other one can be a destructive emotion. And the way I seen it was that envy was the healthy one and then jealousy was the destructive one. So the, the example that was given in the book is that envy is the feeling that the two-year-old feels when they see that their four-year-old brother is old, uh, tall enough to open the door. They're like, oh, I want to open the door too. They don't resent their brother, Recognizing but they're like, I want yeah. to do that too. They're not okay. in pain. They're not like, I'm less because I can't do it. Mm-hmm. They just see that something can be achievable and they they strive to achieve it. So in that sense, it's a healthy emotion. And then jealousy would be, fuck my brother. He can open the door and I, I can't. So right. do you do you see a separation between the two? Do you see one is negative and the other is positive? And if so, which one? I mean, for that scenario you painted there, sure. I 100% see the discrepancy between envy and jealousy. Yeah. 100%. It's a really good example. Yeah. Um, the assumption there in that example, though, is that the two-year-old will eventually grow to be tall enough to open the door. Right. So it's inspiring. Yes. It's from an angle of inspiration. Of, yes. Yeah, I look at my brother. He was once me, and I will soon be him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's healthy envy. Mm-hmm. But there, that's what I'm saying is that she said that she considers – uh, envy to be the destructive and jealousy to be the healthy. And oh, I really? see it the other way around. Oh, really? Okay. No, I've, I'm with you on this one. Yeah. Um, jealousy is, I don't think there's a positive attribute to jealousy. Yeah. Cause she I was saying, she was kind of referring to it like, uh, when she sees like other girls like do really well, like if she sees like, uh, I don't know, even just like something is like, if they got like really nice hair. Is it motivating to be jealous though? Yeah, she's she's, she's like, oh, I'm mad jealous of your hair. That's so nice. I want hair like that. But she says it in like a complimentary way. Yeah. And I I think that's more of an exception than the rule. Yeah. Right? Because I'd be willing to go out on a limb here and say, if you ask 10 people what they thought of jealousy. Yeah. Eight or nine of them are going to associate it with a negative mindset. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, 
Envy, I can see being more of a 50-50 split yeah. because of the example that you sort of laid out there with the inspiration right, and, exactly, you know, yeah. behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time where I see Envy really being destructive is when something is being, when you've selected a, a unattainable goal. And I know mm-hmm. that some people exist under the mindset that, well, nothing is unattainable. Right. I will never be an astronaut. Mm. It is not going to happen. If you want it to, you could. Well, I, I, I won't though. <laughs> yeah. I, is that your desire? I, I, I won't. I, and I think even if I wanted to, I have to recognize that I do not have the intellectual capacity. Mm, I'd and argue I, that. And, and I, and I, and I, <laughs> well, thank you. But I, I don't think I'd be capable. I think I understand my limits. I think I understand what I can and what I'm good at and what mm, I'm not. Sure. Um, you're talking to a guy who train wrecks at 12 times 13. Anything past, <laughs> anything, anything past 12 times 12 is an absolute train wreck. 144. <laughs> and don't know, right? Yeah. So it's the type of thing where if I were to base <laughs> my whole existence off of being upset and envious over those who are right now floating around the earth in the International Space Station, mm-hmm. that's not going to be like, helpful to right. me at all. It's going to be destructive yep, in the exactly. long run. Yep. <clears throat> now, if we modify the narrative a little bit mm-hmm. and we say, I'm envious of, I don't know, someone who has a successful business and is a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's um, more achievable. Or, or it's more achievable. Or maybe just bringing it right. This is a real one for me. I'm getting to the stage of life now where I'm envious of people that are starting to have kids. Okay. And when I hear of people that, do have kids now. It's like, yeah, I, I feel that now. Mm-hmm. I, I would soon like to have kids. Right, yeah. It's it's something. Now, that's that's positive because mm-hmm. it's an inspiration for me yeah. to, you know. Get, you can see yourself being a dad. Exactly. And you're going to strive um, to be a good one kind of thing. So to me, it, it has more to, envy has the potential to be positive as right. long as you set attainable goals. Right. And have realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Jealousy doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think I can even use the same example when I, if I were to say that I'm jealous over people who have kids, as opposed to I'm envious mm-hmm. of people who have kids, that to me would imply that like, I'm not seeing any hope for myself right. being able to have them. If I yeah. just said, I'm jealous of people who got youngsters, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound in the least bit constructive no. and it doesn't sound in the least bit helpful for me to attain that goal. Right. I think that- the- In fact, I think it's inhibitive actually. I think it's almost adopting a defeatist- Exactly. Yeah, that's the way right. I hear it too. And I think that <clears throat> she sees it differently because I think a lot of people have kind of changed the definition of it these days. Mm-hmm. Like I see that a lot online these days. Like, <clears throat> oh man, I'm so <clears throat> jealous of your sure. your your body or something like that. I want to be like that. Well, I think it's just our, people our, our not whole, using the word our, correctly. Yes, our whole language is riddled with contradiction. For yeah, example, exactly. that sweater's pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a contradictory statement yeah, right exactly, there, right? Yeah. Pretty and ugly are two things that should not go together. It's yeah, juxtaposition, it's like right? Pretty became very. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to just kind of bring you back a little bit to, I, I don't think you exactly mean what you say when you said you don't think you're capable of being an actor. <laughs> oh, no, I meant, I meant it. Like, I'm too stunned for that. But, but I, <laughs> well, what I want to, oh, what I want to, I guess, talk about, I guess, mention is that I believe we all have the capacity to obtain anything and be anything we want. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that it could happen quickly and I'm not necessarily even saying that it'll happen in your lifetime. But uh, <clears throat> when people say something well, like that. Well, then how is it attainable? Well, I mean, 
it's kind of the same thing we were talking about with anxiety and depression. Like I, uh, sir, I can't do my math test because of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. You have trouble with 12 times 13. <laughs> so you think that the, the, the intellectual capacity required to be an astronaut is something beyond your capacity. Yes. But if you made it your goal and you found a passion for it, you might have to spend 50 years getting to that level of intellectual, um, ability, ability, but there's nothing in you that is stopping you essentially it may be more difficult for you than somebody else who has practiced math and all and science their whole life and it kind of comes easy to them but there's nothing inherent like i guess the distinction i want to make is like there's nothing different about your dna so to speak that keeps you from understanding these complex concepts it's just that you you didn't spend the last 20 odd years practicing it to the level that you would need to make it easy for you. But if you had, if Josh Vey started when he was five years old to work on arithmetic and, and, and algorithms and all that kind of stuff and like complex scientific concepts from that point and you found that passion back then, then you would be that at that point now. You know what I mean? There's nothing inherent in you that keeps you from doing it. I don't know if I agree with that, Mike. I, no? um, I don't know if I agree. And the reason why is just because we do know that there are, like, even if you just take it down to the most basic biological, like, left brain, right brain thinking, right? Sure. Now, I'm going to confuse these two because this is what I do in okay. terms of, like, I'll never remember which one is orientated for which. Okay. But let's just say that the left brain is analytical and the right brain is creative-based. Right. There are people that are predominantly left brain and mm -hmm. predominantly right brain. Mm -hmm. um, so I hear what you're saying where it may not be, may not come as easy to you, mm. but to say that there's not some biological barriers there in place, mm. I don't think is correct because mm. I do think that there are people who have natural ability, like for sports is a really good example of this. Mm -hmm. Like there is more coordination in the onion than, than what I have, <laughs> right? There's a guy growing up, uh, Glenn Campbell. I don't mind name dropping him. He wouldn't care. Okay. Yeah. This guy yeah. could literally balance on a toothpick. Right. <laughs> I can remember him. You remember the little, uh, the soccer pitch, used to have like this like tubular ring that used on to base? Uh, yep. around base. You mm -hmm. used to go around there. Yep. He would jump up on that mm -hmm. and fucking run. On yeah. It. <laughs> I had a job to climb over it. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I spent loads of time right. as a kid because I grew up with the guy trying to climb the same trees that Glenn did, but he just had a little more monkey in him than I did. Sure. I, right? Yep. So there's something there. It has to be genetic. There has to be a predisposition. There's some reason why Mm. He has this natural ability that I don't have. Now, fast forward a few years later, mm -hmm. why I could play a piano and why he couldn't, mm -hmm. I'm not saying he can't, he might be able to, I don't know. Right. That's something different altogether. Okay, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know if I can 100% agree with what you're saying there. Mm. Um, coming back to me as the astronaut, because <laughs> um, you know there's always hope. <laughs> um, what I find in that scenario even were I to agree that I could get to the intellectual capacity for it, mm -hmm. I think of, of unattainable goals as like kind of Chinese puzzles. So you remember, or maybe it's not Chinese puzzles, but it's like, um, what was the toy where if you fix one part, the other part would pop out and it took like effort to kind of keep it all together. You pull, you put one piece in the other thing pops out. I don't know. I'm not sure. I thought they were Chinese puzzles, but whatever. Okay. Um, I feel like in those type of goals you set for yourself, mm -hmm. when you accomplish one thing, mm -hmm. something else you had previously accomplished goes by the wayside. Okay. So for example, to be an astronaut, if it takes me 50 years to become an astronaut, yep. I mean, I'll be in my eighties. Mm -hmm. Now I'm no longer physically fit okay. to go into space. Sure. Right. Yeah. So it, I, 
it's a counterbalance to everything I do. Yeah. And finding the harmony between being smart enough and young enough mm-hmm. and motivated enough and healthy enough. Right. That's a lot of things to balance all on the one table. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is that every uh, every human has the capacity inherent within them uh, from the moment they're born to accomplish anything any other human can. Like now, obviously, you're not if you're born without legs, yeah. you're not going to be able to run on the thing. That's a, right. a different story. Yeah. But aside from like actual disabilities, like a part of your brain is missing or something like that. So if, let's just say we have. A and B, person mm-hmm. A and person B. Yep. They both start the same. Neither one is deficient from the other. Mm-hmm. They're on equal playing mm-hmm. field. In theory, they should be able to achieve a similar capacity. Yeah. I'm saying there's nothing. And even when you talk, like, even if there is something in your genetic code, I would argue that we have the capacity to alter our genetic code in terms of what's expressed and what's suppressed. Okay. Depending on how you live your life. Like, and that's been shown with like how we eat and stuff like that. If you uh, eat really healthy, you're going to uh, activate the genes in you that are more like antioxidant and whatnot and healing and like, but if you eat like you used to McDonald's all the time, you are activating the genes in yourself that contribute to cancer and stuff like that. Sure. So when you were born, when you and Glenn were born Mm -hmm. in a sense, um, you are in different circumstances. And and I'm not even talking when you're born, even the situation of you being in the womb, depending on what your mother ate and how she acted and how she felt had a an impact on you as well. So everything I see is a consequence of circumstance. So I'm just saying like, there's, it's not like a, there's one human that simply cannot be an astronaut and there's one that can. If the right steps are taken, anybody could achieve it. I could probably get mm-hmm. on board with that. Right, yeah. Um, but it's narrowing the playing field. Sure. Right? It, it's it's creating a uh, uh, utopian platform that I don't know if it exists. And mm-hmm. there's so many other contributing factors that would kind of impede that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of which are because of the system we live in today, like socioeconomic mm-hmm. factors and stuff like that. Um, one of the great tragedies that I see now is knowing that Someone has, I don't think there's anything sadder actually than knowing that someone has the ability to do something, but not the means to make it a reality. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, for example, a good buddy of mine, you actually know, I'm sure you wouldn't mind me sharing this. So I'm going to say this, uh, Colton, who was on the podcast, mm. he just got accepted into a film school. I've seen that. Uh, cool. down in the States. Mm-hmm. He has the capacity mm-hmm. to do what he wants to do there. Right. 100%. Mm-hmm. Will he have the funds to do it? Mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I hope he can find the money. Whether he pulls it out of his arse or maybe someone makes a donation. I don't know. Yeah. To me, it would be a shame for him to not be able to go solely because of that. Yeah. Solely because of the system he lives and, in. And, and that to me is, that's tragedy. Yeah. That's tragedy. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I can think of lots of examples like that, but that's just one to name a few. Um, there's loads of instances where people are able, but either not willing or inhibited by some external factor right. that shouldn't be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? And that's just the facts of the world that we live in, unfortunately. For now. 
For now. For now. For now. Until there's, you know, COVID wipes out the world and we can start fresh <laughs> on Dumpy Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to be wiped out to start fresh, man. Mm-hmm. We just got to change the way people think. Sure. And this is an opportunity to do that because people are already cozying up to the idea. Maybe not cozying up because that sounds like they're accepting it. But people are already getting used to the idea of everything might change. Before this, everybody was just going with the motions of everything. But now that idea is in their mind like, Everything might be different after this. So since they're already got that in their head, why not insert the everything can be better after and this? And the pessimist, pessimist in me mm-hmm. thinks things may change for the worse. Exactly. And that's probably the majority of the world. And, and, and that's that's where my mind goes. Where you see the light, I see the, <laughs> the deep cavern of yeah. the darkness. I see the possibility of darkness. Right? But I believe on a level that what we choose to focus our energy on has an effect on the inter- external world. Mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to be bad. COVID-19 is going to kill people. I might get it. This could be bad. That physically changes the reality around me. Right. So if the way you uh, questioned earlier, like how do we shift that consciousness is people have to understand that they have more power than they believe. They have, they have the power to alter their reality with how they think and how they feel. So if you practice, like I said, like my daily practice with, you know, taking care of myself in every way I can and like meditating and spend some time um, reading and educating myself and challenging myself, those types of things make my brain stronger. And when I have a stronger brain, I can choose, be like fear can seep in and I can be like, oh man, I'm scared. But then I'm like, what are you scared for? What's the point? Like another thing that I never really got to, but after... That whole depression uh, and anxiety period I had in my life, I basically basically came to a point where I was like, I can't live like this. I'm either going to figure it all out or I'm going to end it. And uh, at no point did I ever actually imagine myself doing that because I couldn't – I was scared to end it as well. Mm-hmm. But I knew something had to change. And at that point, I kind of just realized that we were capable of anything and everything. And that that's when I started to think stuff like um, the, the only thing stopping me from being an Einstein, so to speak, is my circumstances. If I had the upbringing he had, I'd be the same way. You know what I mean? So that kind of mentality is what kind of uh, permeated my whole existence after that. So now when fear seeps in, I can just – so during that time and since I was already accepting – of my own death in some way. I was like, I, what could be worse than this? Like basically that's where I was. I was like, I can't get any worse than this mental torture I'm going through every day. So I got to a point where I was like, well, one day I am going to die. And to me at first it was terrifying, but then I let myself accept it. I let myself feel what it was going to be like to die. And in that moment, at first I was terrified, but then once I, when I got past that fear, I was literally in bliss it after i accepted my own death and knew that it was inevitable i got to a a point in my consciousness where i had never felt so free in my life and so at that point i accepted my own death and from then on i haven't had a fear of it Mm -hmm. so now whenever i have any fear that is related to my life i'm like what's the worst that can happen you could die whatever yeah and and this is one of the larger larger um big think ideas mm. that kind of exists in the world. One that I find personally terrifying mm. is the imagining of just how small a component that we are mm-hmm. in a much larger system in terms of like thinking about, and I hate to use this term lightly, but just even just thinking about the universe mm-hmm. in terms of 
how large it is, mm-hmm. right? Um, how it's not finite. Mm-hmm. Right away, can't can't understand it. Yeah, can't begin to comprehend it because everything that exists inside my world it's is finite, finite. Way. beginning and end. Right, mm-hmm. basic concept. The road only has two ends. <laughs> yeah. um, we have a start and a finish. Yeah, but to be aware of something that exists outside of those constraints. Yeah, I have a hard time processing it, yeah. and I find personally, not to use the term too lightly, but I do find it would give me anxiety yeah. when I start to think about this mm-hmm. and uh, how insignificant what I'm doing is. Yeah. And sometimes I find it counterproductive to think about because I used to think about it all the time, just in terms of like when I was younger, right. thinking about like, man, it's pretty cracked how there's all these stars out there and there's such a large existence out there mm-hmm. of which I am such an insignificant part of. So why the fuck does it even really matter whether yeah. I go to school on Monday? <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. But that's not a constructive way to think. Yeah, exactly. And I find the same thing with even thinking about my own mortality sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see the benefit of it. Yeah. In terms of embracing the inevitable, mm-hmm. oh yeah, see the see the you know the the allure of that. Yeah, but on the other side, uh, I can't possibly imagine this is it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So everything else is finite. So my existence is finite too. Yeah, I've got a quarter of it used, more than a quarter now of it used. Yeah, yeah. The best quarter of it used. <laughs> you, you see, you see where this goes. Oh right? yeah, exactly. I, I work my way into. Yeah, I've a, dealt with all those thoughts as well and it's yeah. not a pleasant it's not a pleasant process no it's not man yeah. um the first big crash i ever had with that was a couple of years ago my grandfather passed away mm. and that was the first time and i was kind of late to the party on this because most people by our age you know mid-20s mm-hmm. at the time had uh experienced yeah. someone dying yeah or had been to a funeral i'd never been to anything mm-hmm. um and to just Know some. It's different when you hear of someone passing away when you don't know them. Mm-hmm. But when you know someone and you've talked to them and you know them well, and then they're gone. Yeah. Then they are gone. Yeah. That is a very stark awakening. Yeah. To what's important, what's not. Um, how you kind of think about what you're doing, and anyone who hasn't been through that process yet, unfortunately, mm-hmm. we all kind of have to go through it. Eventually, yeah. it is. Very, very, like, abrupt. Mm-hmm. And I, I struggled with it for a long time just in terms of finding it weird. I cannot pick up the phone and call that man yeah. and have a conversation. Now, anyone who's never gone through that would say, yeah, obviously he's dead. Yes. Yeah. You can't pick up the phone and call someone who's dead, but <laughs> yeah. I'm so stunned. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't actually care about him picking up the phone. It was just purely, huh, that's no longer an option The now. ability is gone. That is gone now. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely something that I noticed about everything, when I started to think about it, it's like, oh, it's no longer an option mm-hmm. to just be as carefree as I once was when I was six. It's not an option. Well, it is an option. It'd be a good way to end up in HMP, actually. But it's no longer an option to run around the playground pretending to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a good way to end up in Waterford. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. It is an option, but it's not a feasible option. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that makes me sad sometimes. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. When I think about that, because I feel like that was a good time that I didn't appreciate. And now yeah. I can never get that back. Mm-hmm. And it's accepting that it's gone. That's important, but also very difficult. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and I can see the allure of even just embracing the inevitable and saying, yeah, death is coming one of these days. So yep. now that I've accepted that fact, I can really maximize the yep. good parts. Exactly. Of, of yeah. Life. yeah. Right? So that's what I mean. Like fear has no real hold over me anymore in that sense. I can get caught in it, but at the same time in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know the truth, mm-hmm. and you're going to be fine. The danger I find with a lot of this stuff, 
and it's sort of edging on, um, con- kind of edges on multi- uh, the whole like multitude of topics. Really, I find it very difficult to have these types of conversations with anyone without giving advice. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where I find the danger in lies. I find all too often there are people that are very willing to not only have these kinds of conversations, but kind of imply that you should maybe subscribe to this philosophy or, or subscribe to this belief set. Like religion mm-hmm. is a really good example of this. Mm-hmm. We're not having conversations with you. We're converting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I feel like I might actually accidentally be doing that when I have a conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to fall on the wrong side of the line between convincing and conversing. Right. Right. And I think it's important that like, even you and I have some vast differences on economics, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to convince you of my philosophy. I, mm-hmm. I don't think you're really trying to convert me mm-hmm. over to your side, but it's the conversation that is, is important. Exactly. Not the conversion. I, I care what I, I have no stake in the matter of whether or not you accept what I say. No horse, no horse in the race. Yeah. Right. I'm going to say what I know to be the truth. Yep. You can take it. You can leave it. Yep. It's up to you. Sure. And that's the way I feel about it. And the same thing goes for religion and, and philosophy and all that mm-hmm. uh, spiritual beliefs and stuff like that. I'll often tell people that I am, um, in the camp that I don't believe this is the end. I don't believe there's only one life. I don't believe that we are this only one existence and the lights go out and that's it. I am mm-hmm. in the camp that it's an infinite cycle the same way the universe is infinite. Yeah. Just once I understood that concept that the universe could be infinite and time could be infinite and where could you draw boundaries if there could be boundaries, yep. what would be beyond them? There had to be something beyond the boundaries. Yep. So the only thing that made sense to me was infinity. And so then I started to toy with that idea in my mind and I came to realize that, well, at that point that I accepted my own death, it was essentially also an ego death. I, Michael Dunphy died in mm-hmm. that moment. I no longer had an attachment to who I was, who I knew, anything. It was just the concept of being, the concept of awareness. That was the only thing I was in that moment. And that's the con- that's the that's the thing that I often go back to to find that wisdom and to find that sense of clarity that provides me with this understanding in life. So uh, I'll often say that I know that when I die, although Michael Dunphy will be dead, this meat body is gone. Mm-hmm. My awareness as a whole will continue in some way, shape, or form. And depending on how I live my life and how I feel at the moment of death determines essentially what I become after that. It's almost Buddhistic. In its, essentially, in, yeah. In, uh... When I look, like I wouldn't call them, like when we were talking earlier about how I said like people would consider me socialist or communist or something like that, I don't consider myself an anything-ist. Mm-hmm. But when I look at political um, ideologies, the one that makes the most sense to me would be socialism, even though I'm sure there's flaws that I haven't really considered. And then when I look at religious ideologies, Buddhism is the one that seems to make the most sense to me as well. But uh, maybe something as similar one is Jainism or Jainism. Okay, you know what I'm talking that. about? Nope. It's essentially that uh, I might be butchering this. I might be getting confused with another one, but it's essentially that everything has life. Okay. Uh, that's also panpsychism, which is I don't even think right. it's considered a religious philosophy other than just like a, maybe a philosophy philosophy. But yeah, that's the idea behind it. So I take little bits and pieces from all different 
religious uh, standpoints because they all have a little bit of truth to them. To me, I'm not an anythingist. I believe I just know the truth. <laughs> I've yeah. seen the truth in me and I haven't found <clears throat> anything yet that was contradictory towards it. So, and when I practice it and when I believe it in my everyday life, it serves me in ways I can't even imagine. And, and in my mind, um, no matter what you believe to be true, mm. as long as that does not overflow into a conversion tactic exactly. for others, yeah. there's nothing wrong with exactly. operating under that mentality. Yeah. One of the large reasons why I sort of came around to believing in something, and I'm still on this, I, you know, I don't like to get too meta, but I still am on a bit of a spiritual journey myself in terms mm. of trying to figure out what exactly do I believe. Right. Because right. there's some days I'm on starkly on one side of the fence, mm. and there's other days that I'm on the other. Mm-hmm. Um, the last few years have certainly changed my opinion in terms of I do believe that there is a higher power. Don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. No idea. Mm-hmm. Could be puppet on Mars pulling the strings. <laughs> I do not know. Something beyond <clears throat> ourselves. But there is far too much perfection and harmony mm-hmm. in terms of how things are, how things come to be, balance, mm-hmm. um, for it to not be of some sort of intelligent design mm-hmm. through whatever means. I don't believe that where I'm, first of all, most unlucky fuck you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> One for bad luck, I'd have none. So I refuse to believe oh. that my existence is the random convergence of everything that could have happened, mm-hmm. that never happened, that eventually did right. over eons and eons and eons. I refuse to believe that I'm the 649 number. Yeah. Right? I, I'm just not that lucky. Yeah. So there must have been some sort of intelligent design to bring about things the way that they are. Uh-huh. Um, now, Before I kind of came to this realization, I was pretty much in the camp of, no, it's all science, pure science. We are random happenstance. It's exactly where I was for 25 years. Yep. And the danger I found with that was I became just as dismissive as the religious sellouts Mm -hmm. that were on the other side saying, no, Jesus loves you, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) So... I had adopted a religion of my own. Yeah. And it was called atheism. Right. Right. Without even really realizing it. Yep. And I became dismissive of anyone who believed anything different. Yep. Same. And that's a piss poor way to exist. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so yeah. I had to modify that <laughs> mindset a little bit. Yeah. And kind of come to the realization of, you know what? I don't know the answers. Yes. But, but I just have to go on the evidence of what I see. Yeah. And based on what I see, mm-hmm. I can't just believe that there's just, just random, random happenstance. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe it. I don't buy it. Yeah. I'm not that lucky. Yeah. So that sort of ca- very like cautiously put me in the believe believers camp. Yeah. Um, do I subscribe to what I consider myself Christian? <clears throat> I've been asked that loads of times, especially by grandmother. She's frightened to death. I'm gonna burn. <laughs> but it's, it, it's the type of thing where do I try, do I operate my life kind of, as a good person, I'd like to think so. Mm. Do I have my flaws? Yes. Um, but you know what? You talk to most people, unless they absolutely think that I'm the big star soul ever walked the earth, which there is some. Mm. Um, I try to be helpful where mm-hmm. I can. I try to be supportive. I try to be constructively critical, not just heart like malignantly critical. Mm-hmm. I don't try to tear people down. Right. I'm, you know, I'm only human. I likes a bit of gossip from time to time, but, <laughs> sure, yeah. but it's never in terms of like, I don't, I don't get anything out of seeing anyone fail. Right. I like to hear of people doing well for themselves. Yeah. I know there's people out there that don't, 
I know there's people out there that there's nothing worse that they can hear that someone that they know from the same town of them is doing well. Yeah, I used to feel like that, man. For whatever reason, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. But personally, myself, yeah, I kind of like to think that I reflect some of those values. Mm -hmm. Don't know if I'd really call myself Christian because I certainly don't go to church. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it's important to recognize what you believe in. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to recognize what you trust, what you distrust. And I do think it's important to, even while believing to be skeptical and Mm. remain vigilant. Right. Because there are a lot of very like bad things Mm -hmm. that can occur of just manipulating people who are malleable and Mm. don't have strong convictions and who don't really know how to think for themselves. Yeah. Don't know what they believe in. There's a gray zone you can be in where you could be pointed in almost any direction. Oh, yeah, I've been there before yeah. in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's evil, no matter what you believe, mm-hmm. to take advantage of that mm-hmm. when you're in that mindset. Yeah. <clears throat> so, like, I, I do have a bit of a problem with people who try to co-opt uh, belief and convince people of yeah. things. Yeah. Or pretend to exhibit things that are existential that they cannot prove in order to make a point. Mm. Um, I don't like advice that people may give to other people based on spirituality, whatever form that may come from, whether it's from God, whether it's from church, whether it's from Bible, whether whatever, or whether it's from, I don't know, uh, like faith healing or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Just things like that. I remain very skeptical of, right? Because they're man-made creations. Mm. And I'm always cautiously skeptical mm-hmm. of all that stuff. I would definitely 100% consider myself a skeptic. Of course. Would you consider yourself a skeptic? I guess so, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a sense. <coughs> um, at, in saying that, though, there's nothing that could change my mind about what I know. <laughs> well, that's interesting. That's interesting. But um, I guess the reason why that is the case is because I maintain a skeptical mind and I maintain a, a, um, a sense of trying to find the answers all the time. Like ever since I realized what I do know now, um, there have been times where I guess I've gotten caught in fear or um, some sort of confusion where I didn't really doubt it, but I had it, I needed it kind of proved to me again. And the reason why I am so confident in it is because it has been proved to me beyond anything I could question. Every question I have, every question I've been given in the last seven years, I've been able to answer for myself, given the philosophy I know. Okay. I think doubt is one of the most healthiest feelings or one of one of the most important mm-hmm. concepts that exist out there. Yeah. Um, because doubt is essentially red flags. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can ignore them mm-hmm. more often than not. When you do, it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Almost every time I've ever felt doubt over something, the investigation of the doubt has been important mm. to verify. Even if it's, it's like to trust, but verify, right? My mm-hmm. dad, you say that all the time. I remember that from your podcast. <clears> and I was uh, like, I really like that. Quote. I think he stole that from Ronald Reagan, but <laughs> He used to tell me that all the time. Yeah. Uh, trust, but verify. And every time I've ever doubted something, mm-hmm. the investigation of figuring out whether it was a legit doubt or whether mm-hmm. it was just a butterfly jitters doubt that could be slapped away. Right. Was important. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as the 
dismissal of the doubt was not through confirmation bias, mm. which sometimes I find myself falling victim to. Yeah. Sure. Because I don't want to believe something yep. not true or because I have a hunch that I'm right and I'm looking for evidence to support my, mm. uh, my preconception. Right. Yeah. Um, so doubt is important. I don't know if I could, I mean, I'm glad you found something that you truly believe in, but I don't know if there's anything that I truly believe in, to be honest with you. I think mm-hmm. I'm on the other page right. for that. I think I am constantly in a state of, no matter how sure I am of something, mm-hmm. I'm always subject to change mm-hmm. based yeah. on what I hear. Yeah. And I guess that stands for me in the sense of certain things. Like if somebody tells me something specifically happened, I'm not going to take it at faith. You know what I mean? I still practice that in my everyday life. But when it comes to the philosophy of just, uh, we're an infinite being experiencing itself in an infinity of different ways and it's eternal. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. Absolutely none. Interesting. Uh, and, uh, one, not the reason why I believe it, but uh, I hope you're right because I'd love to be eternal. By the way, <laughs> yeah. I have nothing to win by being right in this one. Right. Yeah. Right? I, I don't. It's exactly. just the skeptic in me mm-hmm. prevents me from jumping on board with you on that. Yeah. I'm like, well, what if you're wrong? One of the, re- uh, one of the reasons <clears throat> why I guess, uh, not even necessarily a reason why I believe it, but a reason why I can say to someone else why I don't think it's similar to other people's uh, – propensity to accept something because they want it to be true. When I first discovered this, I didn't want it to be true. It wasn't about comfort for me. Like I said, uh, the reason why I came to know this is because I accepted my own death and that was the most terrifying thing. But it was like as if I died and then I was shown, I was like on, like literally in my consciousness transported to heaven in that moment. And I wasn't with God. I wasn't with a being. I was just in an all-encompassing warm light that made me feel pleasure throughout my entire body beyond anything I had ever experienced in my life. Um, The only thing, but in a sense, it also made me basically connect back to every single pleasurable, loving moment I had ever experienced in my life that I wasn't even aware I experienced. Like I could, I could basically go back to when I was a child and felt like, the, the pure love of your parents or something like that. That was, it was kind of like that, but amplified beyond anything I could experience in a material body. So at first it was like, I didn't want to accept this, but it's just everything I was thinking kept pointing towards like, I'm not special. There's nothing unique about me. There's nothing unique about anyone. We're all just like, we're all just atoms. It is just mm-hmm. like a happenstance in a sense. It's all just, I'll just kind of, we're all just interacting we're all kind of governed by the laws of nature. That was kind of what was shown to me to be the truth. And that was in a sense depressing and made me somewhat nihilistic at that point. Mm -hmm. But then when I let it permeate through all of me and accepted my own death, which was terrifying to do so. um, I also went into the consciousness of accepting the death of everyone I loved because honestly, what was more terrifying than accepting my own death was accepting the separation from other people in my life. And it wasn't even necessarily about the death, but I imagined what it would be like to be hated by everybody I loved, which was a terrifying experience for me as well. But once, once I allowed myself to feel what it feels like to feel all these things, that's when I was, that's when I was, I completely let go of everything. So you played out the scenarios. Yeah. Right. And it was like, I had been grabbing onto something my whole life. And then in that moment, I let my hand go. And when I did, I fell, but I fell into this infinite warm light that was me, but also everyone else. 
And I realized I was just part of this grand scheme of things that was an infinite energy that just happens to coagulate itself into specific frequencies that create atoms that kind of bang together and create us. Okay. And so that was, I guess, one way of me saying that it wasn't because I was looking for comfort. I was looking for truth. Mm -hmm. I... At that point in my life, I wanted nothing but truth. I didn't care how scary it was because I had already accepted so many scary truths in my life that I was willing to take on anything at that point. I was like, it can't get any worse than what's going on in my mind right now. I'm literally in emotional torture every single day, mm -hmm. psychological torture every single day. There's no getting worse than this. So I just want to know the truth. So bring it on. I don't care how bad it gets. Mm -hmm. And then when I had that mentality that I don't care how bad it gets, that's when I found the most beautiful thing I'd ever known. Fascinating. It's, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I've never had a moment of clairvoyance or clarity like that, so I can't relate to it. Mm. Not yet. Mm. Um, but once again, I, I see with that, I think that's awesome that you found that. Mm. Um, and the fact that it's enough for you to mm. just know that is good mm -hmm. because if you were of the mindset of like, I'm going to package this in a plastic lunchbox and start selling it to the masses. Mm -hmm. That's when I start getting concerned. Exactly. And for seven years, I've been debating whether or not I should try to make a living at this. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this is one way of me doing it mm -hmm. in a sense that I'm not asking for anything. Right. I'm putting a podcast out there. If it gets huge, by all means, I'll make a living at it. Yeah. I'm putting YouTube videos out there. I'm not asking for anything in return. I'm in the, in the process of creating, well, I've already got a website, but I'm in the process of uh, reworking it into a way that I'm going to offer myself as essentially like a, a life coach or a guide in some way. Now, I don't even like those words because I don't want to act as if I've got something that you don't got. Mm -hmm. My message is that you have everything you need in you. I'm just here to wake it up. Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's why like for the past seven years, I've like kind of felt dirty about asking somebody to like pay me to give them advice or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's never felt right to me. And <clears> now <throat> I'm more open to the idea just because I feel like it's needed now. And now more than ever, in many ways, uh, we got, we got to speed up this kind of consciousness shift. Otherwise we're going to blow each other up or we're, <laughs> we're all going to die. You know, something's going to happen. Right. So. And I, I, I'm always cautiously fearful of everything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I see the potential for danger mm -hmm. in terms of like what you're saying to me sounds relatively benign. Mm -hmm. um, but I see the potential for that to be co-opted, maybe not by you, mm. but by someone else. Oh, there's plenty of people in the spiritual community that are just doing it for the money, man. Yeah. I and, see it all the time. And that terrifies me. Yeah. hundred percent. That terrifies me because so much progress has been negated. So many bad things have happened throughout history because of a set of ideology, uh, like ideologies that just do not line up. Exactly. Um, one of the more like kind of one of the scarier booms and something that I personally can't stand. And it really bothers me because I've had family members fall victim to this are like the, like the, what do you want to call them? Like mediums, like sp spiritual healers, mm -hmm. and mediums and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very skeptical of right. all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan, and basically, there's two outcomes to almost every case. Like, I know shows like I'll use this show as an example. It's on TLC, Long Island Medium, yeah, where this Missy essentially goes around telling people that, "Oh, I've been in communion with your dead loved one, and mm -hmm. here's what they have to say." And mm -hmm. it's mentalism, essentially, mm -hmm. in my opinion, it's mentalism. Mm -hmm. um, and they're taking money for this, and mm -hmm. this person has made a massive, massive like following and 
and huge amount of money off of this show. Mm -hmm. And now that it's publicized, it just propagates itself. So you get more people at it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very skeptical because either a, you're telling the truth in which case, why are you making money off of something that is so pure? Mm. If you are actually in communion with the afterlife, why do you need to make money off of that? For mm. one, that's always been my big problem with religion. Mm-hmm. If God is omnipotent, why does he need a collection plate every Sunday? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, if that's not the case, then you're deceiving people intentionally. Mm. Or then there's always the third option of you actually believe this to be true. And it's not mm. in which case, you're crazy and haven't mm. realized yet. And I hate that word crazy, but it's mm. just like you've succumbed you're to your, you, you're, you're deluded mm. and you're spouting information that's cannot inaccurate. inaccurate and can't be verified and couldn't do a lot of harm. Right. So <clears throat> I'll tell you a little personal encounter now. So I ever talked about pop passing away. Um, my father's sister, and she probably wouldn't like for me to tell the story, but chances of her listening to this are negligible. And if she does, well, so be it. Um, after my grandfather passed away, she had a very hard time, my aunt, dealing with grief mm-hmm. over the instance. So through whatever means, I don't know if she sought it out or if somebody kind of recommended it to her, she sought to kind of talk to some a medium. Um, and they told her lots of things that made her feel better. Mm-hmm. And for a time, for the first few months, it seemed to be constructive because she wasn't as sad. She wasn't as... Uh, lost I guess is the right word for it Mm -hmm. because she didn't truly believe that her dad was gone Mm -hmm. right oh I have proof now that he's not gone because this individual has told me things that only I and he knew Mm. therefore how would they know this otherwise Um, but as time went on the natural grieving process which is a natural process Mm -hmm. like we are designed as human beings to accept loss even if it takes 20 years that's why mothers can get over the death of their children and right. function. Yeah. They may never fully get over it, but they will get to a functional basis. Won't I be mean, the same again. Won't be the same, but they can function, yeah. right? Um, this process was inhibited mm-hmm. by this individual who was giving this advice to my aunt. Mm-hmm. And I saw what was going on there and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was vindictive to mm-hmm. tell you the truth mm-hmm. because all the while, while these sessions were seemingly helping her at the cost of them kept going up and up. Mm, yeah. And I thought that that was just before you knew it. I mean, this woman could have literally asked anything of my aunt, anything, right. give me your social insurance number, give me yeah. a credit card. I need it in order to communicate. Yeah. She would have given it to her. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're all like that. I'm, mm. I'm not saying that there's not someone out there somewhere who can mm. communicate beyond or whatever, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many charlatans mm-hmm. that I would agree. you have to be so careful and I find it so despicable. Mm-hmm. It really rubbed me the wrong yeah, way. I can understand that completely. And, and made me so skeptical of all that stuff to the point where I'm pretty much on the page now of disbelieving anything down that road mm-hmm. until it can be proven right. to me. Yeah. And how you prove it to me, I don't know because I'm in the mindset now that it's not true. Yeah. So... Yeah, exactly. Right? So it's, and all this comes back to ideology in terms of that could have been fine. That whole scenario could have been totally benign Mm -hmm. if the almighty dollar hadn't been involved. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Right? But the second that we find a way to profit off of someone else's misery Mm -hmm. in whatever form that that manifests itself, Mm -hmm. 
I'm not a fan. I get what you mean. Right? Yeah. Religion does it all the time. Yeah. Look at the rite of the funeral. Mm, what, yeah. a, what a great way. To, and and yeah, don't get me crazy. wrong. The church today is not making money off of funerals. Not really. It's mm. the funeral homes. But yeah. who do you think developed that process? Right, yeah. Right? Mm. The service of all And it's that. illegal not to do it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's an illegal not you to do it that way. You can't bury your own dead. So, it, like, we found these ways mm-hmm. to, to make money off of misery. Yeah. The misery industry. It's, yeah. It's terrible. Exactly. Yeah. Terrible. And most industries are the misery industry. Yeah. Like, the first one that came to my head was just like how you um, used to self-medicate with fast food. Yes. The misery <laughs> industry. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Nothing right. better than a French fry. Yeah. So the way I uh, feel about it now, and it took me a while to come around to this because like I said, I didn't even want to – my because my mentality at first when I first realized this was like my initial intention was to write a book, put it all in there, and I was going to put it out there and uh, self-publish and somehow get it out to the world. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't going to put my name on it because I didn't even want it to have anything to do with me for two reasons. I wanted my anonymity. I, I value my privacy. And two, I didn't want the philosophy to have anything to do with me. It's not mm-hmm. Mike's belief. It's the yes. truth to right. me. Right, 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 right. But – that didn't work. For one, I couldn't find uh, – when I, when I tap into this wisdom, it's often very vague. Often when I find the truest part of myself, it's usually like in a state of meditation where I'm just like, mm, we're all one. And that's it. That's all I got to say. <laughs> okay. I'm like, how, how the hell am I going to write a book with we're all one? Yeah. But then every time and then when someone asks me a specific question, I can give a specific answer kind of thing. So it was hard for me to sit down and write everything I've come to know in specific order that it would awaken anyone kind of thing. So I kind of abandoned that project. And over the years, I, I still write a lot, but I don't do it with the intention of writing a singular book. So I found a lot of different ways to do it, and I've I've warmed up to the idea of accepting money for maybe assisting people in any way now. But my thing is, I'm never going to refuse someone help because they don't have money. That's never been a game. Like if some, uh, when I said I'm gonna like advertise myself as like a coach or something like that, uh, the way I'm gonna start with it at least is by making a Patreon. Okay. And I'm like I'm gonna talk to you. I'm gonna do what you can, and when I have free time, I'll help you out. If you want to give me money, you can. You don't have to. You can give me none or you can give me however much you want. That's the way I can uh, – This is very much the way we operated with the podcast. Right. So in that sense, I can understand that because it's literally a sign of show of support. Yes, exactly. There's there's no implied negative consequences of not supporting me. Yeah. You're still getting the same service. Right. But I will say this. I do have a friend who is a medium and she makes a living off it. Mm-hmm. And the way I I'm understand aware, yeah. it – yeah. So, and she spoke to me about it and it makes a lot of sense to me too. And like, I've considered this myself before she even mentioned it, but I just mm-hmm. never really let myself, um, accept the idea completely is that if you feel as if you're doing something, if you feel as if you have a purpose in this world and it's the only thing you feel as if you should be doing and you get no money from it, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to survive. Everybody has to pay their bills. Everybody needs a means of making ends meet right now. Mm-hmm. So maybe at some point when we get to the non-monetary system I'm talking about, <laughs> I don't yeah. think she would charge then. Yeah. But at this point, she don't want to do anything else. She feels as if she's here with a message and a purpose, and she does it with the intention of healing always and being as truthful as she possibly can. Now, I can only tell you from my perspective, I sense no deceit from her. I sense nothing of the kind. I sense only pure intention. Now, whether or not she's deluded, she's considered herself. We've talked about that before. She said uh, like she doesn't believe herself to be, but when she first started realizing this in herself, she kind of started to realize – 
uh, she had someone else in her life who had a similar ability. So when she found somebody else that had this ability, she basically said, at least, it, I don't know, it, it made her feel not crazy then. And she's like, but if I'm crazy, at least I'm crazy with someone else. You know sure. what I mean? So the idea behind it now, and I get it completely, is like, because this is the only thing I want to do, not necessarily a podcast, but I feel as if I'm here to help people realize who they truly are so they can feel love and joy and peace and ease at all times. And the only way to do that is to talk to people about it, coach people through it, educate people about how it works. So if it could be my full-time gig, I would do it. But the only way I can make it my full-time gig is if I can make some money off it mm -hmm. for now right. until we actually shift ourselves in a way that our society changes to a point where we don't need to make money. At which point, why would I charge anything? Why would I ask anything? I don't want to ask anything of anyone. But if I want to do this at all times, I need to set up some sort of structure where I can get compensated for it so I can continue to do so. So for me, by starting it, I'm just going to ask for support. If mm -hmm. somebody wants to give me something, they can. But I'm at no point am I going to ask for it. Maybe later on in down the road, if my schedule gets too packed, if I've got like too many people at me, I'm going to have to figure out some sort of way to decide who do I talk to and who do I don't. And... I'm not sure how I'm going to do that because even then I don't know if I'd feel right by only talking to the people who have more money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there is, there is a, a tangible difference that I can see sure. between what you're saying mm -hmm. versus um, other individuals mm -hmm. like the, the mediumship crowd. Okay. And I, I do know who you're talking about. I just don't I want imagine to you her. would. Yeah. I, I don't want to single her out because she's nice and she's from our hometown and yeah. you know, I don't think anything negatively of her. Right. Um, so I won't use her as an example, but um with you, I feel very much more that this is a brainstorm for you mm. in a lot of ways. The conversation, like this conversation that we're having here right now, mm -hmm. in no way was there a me seeking you out mm. because I have an absence that I need to discuss with you, or it's it's not based on a a predominant urge mm. to solve a problem I have or right. to fill in an act, fix an inadequacy. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is purely. I'm interested, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily to change my mind, but I want to have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And I feel that you're on the same wavelength in terms mm -hmm. of your, I think, don't, I think you would talk to a tree if it talked, <laughs> talked back to you. I have to talked see to what, trees before. To, to, see what, <laughs> but, to, to see what you might learn. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> um, the difference there, so, so benign, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I don't, I, in my humble opinion, nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. The danger I see with the other format, the, the mediumship and stuff like that is that whole, um, that whole industry. I don't know if that's the right word to yeah. call it, but that whole thing mm -hmm. <clears throat> is attractive for those who are in a state of mm. grief. Yeah. So you have an audience mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. You have a clientele, you mm -hmm. have a specific type of clientele actually. Right. right. And these people, I believe would be far better served by coming to that realization that you came to earlier of mm. death, death is inevitable. Right. I need to accept it in order yeah. to move on. That's a hard it's, thing it's, for it's, people. It's though. a self-discovery process mm. more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't see the mediumship as constructive or productive in that mm. regard. I see it as counterproductive mm -hmm. because to me it's detracting from people's own personal journey that really no one can help them with. And myself – if I felt as though I had that ability mm -hmm. to communicate beyond, if I was going to enter into that industry and try to make a living at it, mm -hmm. I think I'd owe it to myself and everyone else 
to get like, I don't, and this is just personally, I'd go get myself checked out to make sure I'm not suffering from schizophrenia right, right. or suffering from split personality disorder or something like sure. that, yeah. that could explain away. If I'm hearing voices or if I'm getting advice from beyond, mm-hmm. I better make sure that the physiological component of my brain is functioning perfectly right, to right. discount any possibility of illness mm-hmm. on my behalf because mm-hmm. that makes me a fraud. Mm-hmm. And I feel as though I have my own personal responsibility to get my own ducks in a row first before I start dishing out yep. a service or advice. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's been my experience that a lot of these people are unwilling to yep, do that. Sure. Yeah. Which right away to me is why are you unwilling to discount that possibility? Mm. So my skeptic brain is just on fire now because yeah. you're not willing to entertain that possibility. Mm-hmm. But yet you're here ready, willing, and able to take everyone's mm-hmm. money. I don't like that. Yeah, I see what you, you mean. See, you see what I'm saying? I do. Um, so, yeah, for, for like your your stuff over here and, and your, your belief system, I think mm-hmm. it's healthy because I think it's sign of like progression and philosophy. Right. Because you're snowballing ideas. But I would draw a parallel. Um, sure. Some of my clientele, <coughs> so to speak, <clears throat> might be those who are depressed or anxious. Yep. Yep. So what's the difference between that and grief? Anyone who's looking for answers is malleable to a variety of solutions. Mm -hmm. If you are able to put forward the image of having answers, whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. You're very well spoken. Mm -hmm. You're, um, you seem to be very well organized in terms of how you've come to these realizations that you have. Mm -hmm. It would be very difficult for someone who is not well organized, who's in a state of despair mentally to argue with, or, or to argue with anything you've said or to even disagree in the slightest. Like it mm-hmm. would make total sense. If I'm in a state of flux and I talk to someone who's level-headed, really well-spoken, seems to have come to this realization through all this arduous process, oh yeah, that must be like 100%. I'm on board mm-hmm. because you're offering me what I need right now. I mm-hmm. need something to hold on to. Right. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing to provide a solid foundation for people that are lost. Mm-hmm. It's just... We better make sure that we're anchoring them on to something solid, not anchoring them on to like a, just an anchor on the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. where they're going to drown. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm always fearful when I give advice to people. Mm-hmm. Always. Now, I give advice lots of times, especially mm-hmm. as a teacher. You give advice all the time. Yeah. Sometimes I worry I might have said the wrong thing or given poor advice. Mm-hmm. And it really bothers me. Right, yeah. It really bothers me, especially if I think that I'm wrong yeah. on it and I come to find out. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was wrong on that. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a really stupid example of this floating around the gym during public exam times. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not allowed to really give any answers, but of course hands are up all the time. Right. Sir. Well, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah. And I come over and I, you know, you say the typical teacher answers of, well, what do you think? Yeah. Well, does that one really look right? (laughs) And in the meanwhile, I just influenced your decision-making process. And then when I watch you circle the wrong answer, which you might not have done had I left you alone, but I can't tell you, that bothers me. Yeah. And it happened to me several times this year, just in terms of, huh, you didn't get my hint at all. In fact, you did the inverse opposite of what I wanted you to do. Right. And now I'm responsible. Yeah. Not a good feeling. That's a really benign thing. It's a one out of 50 on a multiple choice. What odds? No one's going to remember that in 50 years. Yeah. I know what you mean though. But if it's a substantial decision. Yeah. I want to be sure I'm giving you sound judgment. Yeah, exactly. Sound advice. Yeah. 
in those types of situations, I just always ask myself, like, I just always try to give the truth the best I can. And I don't know how I would react in that situation. I, like, honestly, if I was here in your position being a teacher and they said, sir, I need help, I'd be like, well, I, I would be like, I can't tell you. But yeah. like to say something like that, does that look right to you or do you understand that? I don't know. Like it depends. I guess you are influencing in a way. In a way. Yeah. In a way. And sometimes you can influence without even realizing you're influencing. Yeah. Yourself, right? Oh, yeah. Um, reactions of just even ignoring mm -hmm. sometimes influence people's decision making. Right. Pretending, is, and I do this all the time when there's five hands up to go to the washroom and we're five minutes into the class. Right. I just subtly ignore them all. Right, right. They might misinterpret that the next time they have a question as, well, sir doesn't see me anyways. Right. Yeah, exactly. So right. I'm not even going to bother to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I see. What so you sometimes it's, it's just a, it's a really interesting concept to think about that. I don't take giving advice or making calls for other people lightly. Mm, I don't same. take pointing people in the right, in, in what I think is the right direction lightly either. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's been loads of times I've given wrong advice and I felt like shit mm. doing it, especially when it's like a friend or someone who comes to you at like a time of need and mm. they're like, what do you think I should do? And mm. you tell them and then all of a sudden it blows up in their face and makes it 10 times worse. And I'm yeah. like, wow, I was really confident in that advice I gave and it was a worse course of action right. you could have done. Yeah. That's, that's on me. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's why the older I get, the more hesitant I am to tell anyone mm. what to do. Yeah. I'm the same <clears> way. <throat> like I had a friend of mine ask for advice a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, basically this is my go-to now. And that is, I'll tell you what I would do. Yeah. I'm not saying you should do it. It might be different for you. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you what makes sense to me yeah. and you can take it or leave it, but I'm not telling you to do it. Let's put it that way. And yeah. then like you said, sometimes you're not sure if you're right about it. And sometimes you just want to give the voice to be helpful. And then later on down the road, you might see that you're wrong. And at that point, like you might feel like shit about it, but there's always the odd opportunity to call them up and be like, Hey, I realized I was wrong about that. And one of the things that is important to acknowledge too, mm -hmm. there's a reason why people come to certain people for advice. Mm -hmm. Um, and not to blow smoke up my own arse, but I've been asked for advice more than I've asked for advice. Right. Yeah. Same. Um, not be, not necessarily because I think I'm always right. It's just sometimes I'm too proud in the past yeah. to ask people for advice when really I probably should have. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely been asked more than I have asked. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's in the delivery of how you give an answer in terms of, yeah, well, if you, I say this confidently, Josh, what color is the sky? The sky is purple. Don't <laughs> Yeah. But I said it to you perfectly confidently. Yeah. Oh, okay. Guess it is. Yeah. I must just see purple a little bit bluish yeah exactly with my eyes yeah right it's very easy to be attractive for someone who is in despair yeah. as long as you speak confidently mm. no matter what you say is good enough for some people yeah that's true <clears throat> so that's a fact that i've come to be aware of mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. um because it's all in the sale of an idea it's all mm -hmm. it's all in the pitch mm -hmm. and that's what really irks me with a lot of these healers mm -hmm. i'll just lump them all into the same category is mm -hmm. They are salesmen who are really good at delivering their product. Mm -hmm. And they may not be trying to do that. They mm -hmm. might not be trying to sell, right. but they're so well-spoken yeah. and so clairvoyant that they have this ability to just inspire yep. and um, attract new people. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And that's power. And yep. if you have that power, you should probably be careful with how you use mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. Is, is my advice. It's, it's a hum It's a humbling realization. Uh, right? And I'll say this, uh, not specifically just about the person we know either, but mm -hmm. this is how I kind of see all mediums and people in that area. If they are using it to empower 
and they're using it with the best of intentions, that's the only time I like kind of see them with a level of respect. If they're doing it in the sense where like in your uh, family member's case mm-hmm. where the money kept going up and they said they need more and more in order <clears> to do that, yeah. then I can see some definite deceit there. But in the case, um, there are those out there that say, look, I'm going to communicate with your loved one for you, but they want the best for you. They want you to take care of yourself. They understand that you're grieving and eventually you're going to have to let them go. They still teach the process of getting over it and letting go. That's why I have respect for the person I know mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's – although there is money involved, it's about the healing process. And I would almost love to have a conversation with her mm. just to – if she was if she was actually open and, and not subject to taking offense. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because I can take criticism just as fast as I can give it. Sure, so, yeah. I mean, she might eat me alive in terms of what she thinks about my belief. Um, but I'm open to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the proof in the pudding for me is always how receptive someone is to criticism and how they respond. Mm, yeah. That always dictates to me what I think of their belief. Right. So yeah. if I start asking questions and the hairs on your back start to yeah. stand up and you start to arch up yeah. right away, it's further confirming Yes, doubt. exactly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I've yet to meet someone in that field that has been able to calmly and kind of rationally said, yeah, I understand why you think that, uh, mm-hmm. but yep. this, 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 and this yes, is exactly, why yeah. I think this way. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's prod that a little bit further. Da, 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 da. Usually I can't really get to the second or third layer before I start touching nerves. Right. And then all of a sudden it becomes an adversarial conversation. Yes, exactly. You're yeah. shitting on me. Yeah. And really I'm not. I'm just mm-hmm. asking you questions. Exactly. And you're beginning to take them personally. Yep. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's usually how that conversation goes, mm-hmm. but I'd be more than willing to yeah. have my mind changed. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you oh. might, uh, I actually recorded a podcast with her over Christmas. Okay. So I'm going to put that up soon. You might, uh, maybe get some insight from that. Maybe I will have a listen. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but what else was I going to say? Uh, I totally lost it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it'll come back to me later, but I don't know, man. Perhaps we should wind this down. It was pretty good. It's getting, I think we're hitting like the three hour mark, even maybe more. Wow. That's, yeah. that's pretty. Uh, and that's I feel cool. like if we could go a lot longer. It was like a 15 minute session is what that feels like. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, you know what? It's been really nice, Mike, mm. getting behind the mic again. Yeah, I bet, man. Um, I really missed being behind the mic. Yeah. I did. Um, we did it for almost, I think it was February until August, something yeah. like that. You guys always seem like you're having <clears throat> so much fun. And we really did. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm sad it ended the way that it ended. It didn't end under the best circumstances, but mm-hmm. uh, it was a really good time. And yeah. It was a really good experience in terms of this is, this here has like a, I don't know, some sort of a <laughs> euphoric response. Like when, when you go to the gym, you get that exhilaration yeah. afterwards. Yeah, exactly. This is good for the soul. Oh man, totally. Podcasting and, yeah. and conversation having these conversations. Yeah, exactly. It's good for you. Yeah. Asking these questions, being truthful about what you think and you feel, mm-hmm. uh, it's exhilarating, man. Yeah. What What would you call that? It's like, uh, yeah, I guess exhilarating or, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a good enough word, I guess, for <laughs> yeah, it there. Exactly. I can't think of anything better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Shall we call it a day? I think we'll call it a day. All right, man. Thank you so much. No sweat. Anytime. It's been an absolute pleasure. Best going. I really appreciate you coming over. No problem. Anything, any final words you want to say? Uh. No, that's about nope, it. Like, yeah, I guess I don't really have anything else to say. That's pretty good. All right. All right, man. Perfect. Peace, everybody.